What's going on? It's Mark Malusa's Maggie Gray, the Moose and Maggie Show. We understand if you can't listen to all four hours of the show, although we'd recommend it. But here's a podcast for you with the highlights of all the best from the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio, Saturday morning, 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Ah, yes, a good Saturday morning. I want it all coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Number to call to get involved. Hit us up on Twitter at Mark Malusis, at Maggie Gray, at uh, Moose and Maggie. Three ways you can go about doing that. And uh, good morning, Maggie. How are you? Moose, good morning. I think one of the biggest questions we have after the absolute blowout in Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals is what did everybody watch besides the game? Right. Why did you watch? Because it was terrible. And then I tried to flip over to hockey and I'm watching the Pens, I mean, not blow out the Senators, but it was 2-1 to one and 3-1. to one. They extend the lead. I'm like, well, I'm not watching this game either. Well, that turned out to watch. be a good game last five minutes of game 3-2. And uh, I turned it off. Yeah, that, that ended up Bad actually job being by a, me. That actually ended up being a decent enough game at the end Hockey where the uh, Senators through. had a power play late uh, under about 35 seconds to go in regulation, and Carlson had a couple shots. Uh, Murray to try and win, and Murray made a couple saves. So that ended up being a good one, but you're right. I, I was mean, asleep. <laughs> I got you. I understand. No worries. All good. Um, I had work late. But, yes, I mean, the NBA playoffs are terrible. I mean, it's <laughs> honestly, it's the, the theme that we've been talking about throughout the course yeah. of uh, for the last, what, six, seven weeks is uh, the playoffs are is an unwatchable product. I mean, from Charles Barkley telling you on TNT that the Stanley Cup playoffs are better uh, <laughs> to where you watch these games and – What's really to watch? I mean, what are you going to be watching here between Cleveland and Boston moving forward? It's embarrassing performance by the Boston Celtics, but it says everything you need to know where the Cleveland Cavaliers are right now. They're playing fantastic basketball, but there's really not much else in the Eastern Conference. And then you look out West and, you know, as Kawhi Leonard nurses that ankle injury, if he's not healthy and on the court, the San Antonio Spurs are just not competitive with the Golden State Warriors. So what is there really to watch right now when you look at these playoffs until we get to the NBA finals, which should be great. And we might have to wait about uh, two weeks uh, until uh, we see that. Is that set to get going on June 1st? Yeah, I think that it's shaping up and this is not a hot take by any stretch of the imagination, but it's setting up to be a sweep by the by Cleveland and maybe Golden State goes five games. But I think that's a sweep, too. I mean, the both teams are just clicking on such high cylinders right now that the hype for the finals, I think, is just going to build and build to a fever pitch, especially if both teams sweep, then you're going to have nine days off before the finals start on June 1. Now, here's my question for you, Moose. If you were one of those people, and not just Moose, America, good morning. If you were one of those people who was picking the Warriors to win, yeah. whether you picked them in October, whether you picked them at the All-Star break, whether you're picking them right now, if you were one of those people who believe that the Warriors are going to win the title, has watching LeBron James in this postseason, and particularly the last two games, the two games of the Eastern Conference Finals, has that changed your mind? Are you now thinking to yourself, LeBron is on another level, he's feeling snubbed because he wasn't an MVP finalist, which is ridiculous. We can get into that later on. Are you now feeling like the Cavaliers are the better team and LeBron James, by virtue of the way he is playing, some of the best basketball of his career, if not the best, is he enough to be the one-man wrecking crew to take down the Warriors for a second straight year? Yeah, I mean, for my, no. I mean, honestly, because the East is terrible. So it's not a true reflection of LeBron's no, talent because no, Boston no, is not I mean, putting up a, a fight. T- no, he's a really good player, and there, there's no doubt he's an all-time great uh, and what he's going out there to do. But, I mean, there's such a drop-off between the Cavaliers and everybody else in the East. 
it's not even funny. I mean, it's it's all it's really utterly embarrassing when you look at Eastern Conference basketball and what what the state of it is at this stage. Um, you know, the Boston Celtics performance is embarrassing. Maybe Washington would have been a little bit of a, a stiffer challenge for the Cleveland Cavaliers. But I think it's a combination of just how focused Cleveland is right now and really how inept the rest of the Eastern Conference is because that's really what it is. It's embarrassing how bad it is uh, and, and how bad of a drop-off to where that conference used to be to where it is right now. It's really – it's it's impossible to watch. Yeah. And, and the and Adam Silver and and the uh, the in the commissioner's office needs to be doing. And there's nothing really you can go out there and do except uh, you know drop to the knees and pray the Lord above uh, that something uh, you know that that teams all of a sudden get better in the course of the off season because it's utterly embarrassing. I mean the the games are unwatchable. You can't watch the games. You, you just can't. You 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 watch 82 inept regular season games and and you get to the postseason because you want some sort of a payoff. You want to see great basketball being played by great teams. And there's really, honestly, there's three great teams. That's it. The league has three great teams. It's the Spurs when healthy. Yep. It's Golden State and it's Cleveland. And there's nobody else. No. And that is not good for the league. And But no, to answer your question, no. If, if I like Golden State, I still like Golden State, regardless of what Cleveland's doing, because Boston's inept. Boston is an F, which is funny because we are just coming off of earlier in the week. The NBA draft lottery was on right. Tuesday. And all anyone can talk about is, wow, the rich getting richer. Boston, not only are they about to start the Eastern Conference Finals, but they also have the number one pick in the draft. Look out. Here comes Boston, right? right. And then game one happens and they get absolutely whitewashed. And, you know, Kenny Smith said something on the broadcast that I thought, you know, made a lot of sense. He said, basically, winning game seven, it's like having New Year's Eve, you know, against the Wizards. And then this is like having New Year's Eve three days later. It's like you're just not going to be able to rise to the same fever pitch that you did before. Essentially just saying there was a drop-off there. I was like, all right, you know, game one. All right, game two. I, I mean, it was, it was the worst outing I, I've ever seen. I, it was just so bad that from Tuesday where people were saying, oh, my goodness, look at Boston, look at Boston. This is it. This is the launch pad. Now they got the number one seed. What, are they going to trade the pick? Are they going to bring in as another superstar? Look at Kelly Olynyk. I mean, goodness gracious. It, it's, it's not even – you know, it's JV and varsity out there, and it is really embarrassing. And I don't know if I'm Brad Stevens, who is one of the great coaches in the NBA and one of the great, really tactical minds. I mean, it seems like he's a good motivator as well, but I, you don't even have a move. You don't have a move. Right. You went all the way to the end of the bench, and, I mean, one of the one of the worst plays, I feel like, just taking one to sort of crystallize what was going on last night was when a guy who has not played, I don't believe – any significant minutes in the postseason so far was Jarebko. They bring him in, and the first play, they go right at him. Kevin Love scores right over him. It's like, you don't have anything. You don't even get on the bench. If Isaiah's got the hip flexor, who even knows? If I was Isaiah, I mean, he's probably lucky that he had the hip flexor so he didn't have to come out in the second yeah. half because, you know, why risk injury and being out there for a game that's completely meaningless and uh, that you're completely getting embarrassed by? So, if I'm Boston and if I'm Danny Ainge, I'm really looking back in the mirror here and saying, oh, man, like I know that you don't want to have to wait out LeBron James because he's still in his prime. It's crazy. He's still in his prime. But what other option do I have? What, I, honestly, what do I have? Okay, Gordon Hayward, you're going to need 50 Gordon Haywards. 
You want to bring in Jimmy Butler? You need 50 Jimmy Butlers. You know, what do you want? Well, Paul I mean, George doesn't want to go there. Well, right. I mean, within What's reason. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you get, I mean, if you add, uh, you know, if you added Jimmy Butler, I mean, the Celtics are going to be that much better. I mean, Isaiah Thomas leaves with the hip flex. He doesn't come back in. Uh, you know, and, and Ainge after the game said it dates back to game six of the Wizards series. And, you know, the injury could be pretty significant moving forward. I know. Yeah, that, that doesn't look like Isaiah, to me, walks kind of like bow-legged a little. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. He always kind of walks. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell that he was injured is basically uh, what no, I'm saying. No, I couldn't. I didn't yeah. know either. I mean, that, it seemed like I'm he always just, walks like I that. I mean, that's what Ainge said after the game. Right. So, I, I mean, I, I, I didn't pick on it uh, in game seven or even after game one uh, that there was anything wrong with Thomas. Yeah, I, I mean, the Celtics are, are going to have a decision to make about what they go out there and do, and do they hold on to the number one overall pick, or do they make a play for a ready-made, established player in the NBA and in hopes of uh, taking a step forward? Um, or I don't think it's necessarily go out there and wait it out, but it's, you know, I, I don't know what the right answer for Boston. I mean, if you're looking to try and make yourself a little bit more competitive, they'd certainly be more competitive next year with Gordon Hayward. I don't know if Hayward wants to leave Utah, you know, and – and Paul George reportedly wants to play in Los Angeles with the Lakers. And Jimmy Butler has been a guy that uh, the Celtics have chased like a ghost for the last two years. So I don't know where Boston's going to go right now. I do. You're, you're, they don't have any answers. There's, there's literally nothing left to watch in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. So on Sunday night, I would say go see a movie uh, <laughs> because there's nothing to watch. Uh, there really isn't. And if you do watch it, God bless you, because the, the, it really it's non-competitive bad basketball. And if you think it's going to get better in Cleveland, it's not going to get better in Cleveland. They just lost by 44 points at home. It's not going to get better in Cleveland. I mean, I had Justin Termini on my uh, local show on on FAN on on Friday night, on Thursday night, Friday morning, and Maggie, I asked him the question, you know, joking around, give me a final score of the game in game two, and he said 150 to 75. It was close. Wow. I mean, he wasn't off. I mean, it wasn't much. 130 to 86. I mean, it, it's really not that far off when you look at the disparity there. It, it's. It's just tough to take. It's tough to take. But to answer your question, I mean, I think Boston's got to do a lot of soul searching. I think you look at Isaiah Thomas and see exactly what you're going to do with him moving forward. If you dra- you can only have so many guards that you can throw on the court, but they need bo- they need more talent, as does everybody else in the East. I wonder if maybe this is the time to trade Isaiah Thomas. You know, and here's the thing: if you're a general manager, you know these kinds of losses while they are devastating and they are embarrassing and they really have to make you look in the mirror they always also give you in some ways permission right you can shake up a roster after something like this because you can say to your fan base listen you might love isaiah thomas and he is a great player and he's always been able to score and he is a great player and he's a fan favorite and we get that but look at what just happened to us so it's not a disrespect to isaiah we can still love him and thank him for all the great memories but he, he right now is not a factor in the series. So in some ways, it might give Danny Age permission. I'm not going to say he's going to blow the team up. Why would he do that? But you look at some of the contracts. Isaiah, unrestricted free agent after the 17-18 season. Same with Avery Bradley. I mean, you have guys right now who – Bill Belichick, right, Moose, has been a guest at a lot of these games. Right. Take a take a cue from Belichick. It's better to be to have traded them away – these players two years too early than two years too late or a year too early versus a year too late. Right. It's really true in the NBA as well. So I'm wondering if you want to keep that pick and if you want to make that pick, Markel Fultz or what have you, maybe the stock is not going to be higher for Isaiah, you know, after the season he had. Yeah. And I don't know if he had that another one of those seasons again. 
So I'm wondering right now if I feel like this is my best opportunity to, pot to potentially well, trade him. I know we're on in Boston right now. I'm not sure what Boston Radio and, and the fans are saying up there if they want to get rid of Isaiah. But after what you're looking at now, you have to say to Danny Ainge, okay, carte blanche, because you got to make changes. Yeah, I mean, and with Thomas, it's not only it, you got to figure out exactly what you're going to do in terms of paying him too moving forward. I mean, which is a, a monumental factor. It always is in the NBA. I mean, and you have to understand. I mean, listen, it's not like the Celtics have this crazy payroll. Overall, they have the 20th in the league. So right. it's not like they're out there over, no. you know, luxury tax paying dollar for dollar like the Cavaliers are where they've completely spent to win. But, you know, go back to the original question. We're on. We're on in Boston. We're on in Cleveland. We're on in Northern California. Right. If you were picking the Warriors after seeing LeBron and what he's been able to do, are you hedging that bet? Are you picking and thinking about this a little bit differently? Can LeBron win another finals with the way he's playing right now? 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, that is your number to call. It is Moose and Maggie here on this Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio. Let's head out to uh, Georgia. It's Jerry. What's going on, Jerry? What's going on? What's going on with you? Yeah, I just want to chime in about LeBron and how he's been playing the past two games. And if anybody doubts that LeBron is on a, not on a mission, they're seriously crazy because I think LeBron, he really has a chip on his shoulder because he's always being compared to Michael. He's always being compared to Kobe. And he knows that in order for him to gain that respect that he deserves, he has to steamroll through this series. He has to go face the Cavaliers with a healthy Curry and a healthy Kevin Durant to prove how good he is. If he could beat two MVPs in Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, two former MVPs, there's nothing that can be said about LeBron if he could go ahead and actually win this year against the Cavaliers two years in a row. See, I'm wondering, Jerry, if people beating who, up on your little brother. If people who are looking at LeBron like have does it even matter now with how many more titles he wins? If you already think that he's the best, the best ever, what do the titles do? You know, if you think that he's the best, if you what? think that he has the most tools, if he's the one who's playing the game at the highest level that we've ever seen, I know that LeBron himself has says he's chasing Jordan's ghost, but how many does he, how many titles does he need to get? Seven. You think so? Yeah, I think he has to. But I, I really feel sometimes people just have this, this kind of uh, feeling about LeBron that even if he was seven, I still don't think that he would. They would put him over Jordan. I think Jordan is just so much on this big high pedestal that even if he surpasses Kobe, he would never surpass Jordan. Let me ask you: What if, if he I, ties him? Like what if he gets? Dude, if I put if I put Jordan with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, do you think he's losing? Do you think he's losing to the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA Finals? No. No. Right? No. Then LeBron yeah. James did. Yeah, he did. Right? So, I mean, you, you go in and you go to these scenarios where, you, you know, you're breaking down and, you know, he could go out there. I mean, at this stage, it, there's nothing. He is on a mission. I agree with you. But, I mean, what he does in the Eastern Conference, the Cavs are the big brother. You know, they're five years older and they're going out there and they're slapping around their little brother over the course of the day. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's like that video that someone posted of Shaq playing rec basketball. <laughs> and funny. he basically pushes the guy out of the way and dunks it and runs up the court. I mean, there comes a point in time where, you know, this is too easy. I mean, you look in the Raptors series, the the you look at the Cleveland Cavaliers and they're throwing alley-oop dunks, uh, you know, against the Toronto Raptors, throwing the ball off the backboard. And Toronto is basically quitting right before your very eyes. 
You know, I, 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 I don't. I think if you are a staunch supporter of Michael Jordan, I think you're always going to push to the finals, and you're going to talk, talk about the titles, and you're going to talk about the MVPs. And I mean, someone make the argument he could never pass Michael Jordan because Michael's undefeated in the NBA Finals, and LeBron's already lost in the finals. Uh, the one thing yeah. about that argument, though, Moose, is that it's like, well, but Jordan has lost in the first round, where LeBron has never lost in the first round. So is there more nobility in losing in the finals than losing in the first round? I mean, I understand getting to the biggest stage and always delivering when you get there, but Jordan did have losses earlier in the finals, so should those not count? In if the we're playoffs. Using, excuse the in, finals. The, in the playoffs. He, is, he has had early losses in the playoffs, so are those, I mean, I would argue that it's worse to lose in the first round than it is to lose in the finals. I mean, getting your team uh, all yeah, the way I mean, to the finals. That like that, That's yeah. the one thing I see with that finals argument in terms of LeBron and Michael. But I agree about LeBron on a mission, absolutely. He's the one who's saying that he's chasing Jordan's ghost. But I also feel like the way that he's playing right now, to me, it's like on another, even another level than we're used to seeing LeBron. And I know this isn't this is well worn territory, and it seems like we're almost always saying that. But I agree, like Ty Lue, what he had to say yesterday, and Ty Lue said a lot of crazy things actually in the last couple of weeks. But this one, I I agree with. He says LeBron should be the MVP every year, and I get that because the MVP award now is not most valuable. It is who's having the best season, and just because LeBron sits out and rests for a couple games, I don't think should disqualify him. From winning an MVP, he should be it every year. Tyloo said, just like Shaq. I mean, Shaq should have been the MVP every year. He won it one time, three finals MVPs, but he won it one time as the league MVP because he changed the game in a way that your one game plan and your one question, if you're a coach facing Shaquille O'Neal in his prime, was what are we going to do about right. Shaq? Yeah. You know? And I think the same thing is true for LeBron. And I think that he is taking it incredibly personally that he was not on the top three of finals MV, uh, yeah, finalists. Yeah, well, I mean, we've made that. We've discussed MVP that finals. about him being the MVP of the league every year. I mean, I would not be go out there and be against it, but, I mean, Michael should have been either, uh, too. I mean, you look at Shaq, uh, certainly. Uh, he was the most powerful force down low. So that's fine, and, and he could look at it being disrespected, um, and that's fair, and use it as an extra motivating factor. I mean, no one could be utterly surprised that he's not in the top three when – you knew that the top two are, don't involve LeBron James. I mean, it really comes down to James Harden and Russell Westbrook unless something freaky happens in the vote. Uh, and then Kawhi Leonard is is third. I mean, he was never really part of the MVP discussion all season. I know. I mean, he played 74 games this Does year. It? I mean, but he, Maggie wasn't. I mean, he wasn't. Nobody could – Tyron Luke can't be stunned that he's not there. Neither can LeBron James. He wasn't part of the discussion all season long. When the debate raged on, yeah. it was between two players. It was Harden and Westbrook. Unless you're just not paying attention. No, no, no. I get that. But I just, I feel like I agree with Ty Lue. I think that LeBron is the best player in the world and therefore the most valuable to his team. Yeah, I, you know, I. it depends on how you define most valuable. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, that's the that's the old argument that we get into in all these sports. It depends on how you define most valuable. I don't disagree with you, but this is the same argument. I don't need to see Carl Malone win an MVP when he did with the Utah Jazz. I mean, Michael Jordan uh, should have won it each and every year that he played. He was the best player in the world. He's the best player the sport's ever seen. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to make the same argument now when you look at LeBron James, if you're going to do it what you did in the past, it's going to continue moving forward. 
LeBron did not have the best year. And that's why it really, when that argument or that debate rages on, it's not necessarily for the best player. It's the player that has the best year. LeBron did not have the best year. He didn't. Yeah. He did, he no, didn't. I, I understand I mean, what there's you're no way you can make the argument he did. I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I still feel like it's, you know, you're almost like taking common sense out of it, right? Which is, it's like, it's like, um, Occam's razor, you know, yeah, the simplest yeah. no, answer usually I, is correct. I understand. Let's head up to Buffalo, New York. Lovely Buffalo, New York. It's Rodney. Hmm. You're up next on CBS Sports Radio. Good morning. Hey, Maggie and Moose. And um, before I start, Moose, I completely disagree with you. I'm all the way with Maggie. I, I don't know why people who's in love with the Jordan era always brings up the conversation with the, of, of the rings. I think LeBron by far is better than Jordan. Let, let me get that straight out there. He is better than Jordan, period. We've never seen a player play like this, the way he's playing. And despite him playing the way he's playing and not winning the MVP, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. I think people are just not letting go of Jordan because they're just so I – don't, I, I don't know what it is with Jordan. Well, it's he was like fantastic. He was great. You know, yeah, that's well, why. He was one of the all-time transcendent players. Sorry, I'm and... telling you that Trent Tucker was the best player in the world. <laughs> yeah, the right. best player it's the not NBA that hard to believe. Right. The, I mean, I mean – Honestly, Michael Jordan, you know, is undefeated in the NBA Finals. Look at the MVPs. Michael Jordan is a better outside shooter, better free throw shooter. There are things that LeBron James and uh, does better than Michael. There are things that Michael does better than LeBron James. Uh, so I, I make it out LeBron to be if you're gonna if you're gonna break down the attributes of both players, let's not make it out to be a shutout for LeBron James because that'd be foolish. Well, well, I'm not denying that, but there's a right. lot of things LeBron does much better than Jordan, and he's going to surpass him in the amount of statistics by the end of his career. That's great. So, he, he also started at a younger age. Yeah, but let's not hold that against him. Most I'm not. Of I'm not saying that, but he also started, and the game's completely different too. I mean, so yes, there, you can't blame. It, it's really. It's honestly. Uh, you can make a debate either way. You're not crazy to make the argument that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. Just like I'm not crazy to think that Jordan's better than James. It's fine. You can believe what you believe. I'm not holding it against you up there in Buffalo, New York, Rodney. It's all well and good. I mean, but I'm going to make yeah. my points. So you're going to make your points. Oh, yeah, exactly. Anyway, before I let you go, I love you guys. Continue the good work. Love you guys. Thanks, you got Rodney. it, Rodney. Appreciate it. Appreciate is it warm listen. up in Buffalo yet? Is it warm up at this stage? What is it, it like? Getting there. It's getting, getting there. there. What Memorial is it, like 55 Day. right now? Uh, you know, maybe a little bit higher. Are the falls a nice time to be up there right now? I mean. Niagara? Gorgeous. Gorgeous. I would have been this up there the this time because I went to college up there. So yeah. it it it. It warms up a little bit now. now. It actually gets really hot there during the summer. During the summer. We're it really does. Another Buffalo grad coming up later on in the show. That's my colleague at Sports Illustrated, Richard Deitch. He is going to join us. We got Anthony Stabile Moose coming yes. on next. He's your guy. Horse Racing, Horse Horse Radio, Racing Network. Radio Network. We're going to talk a little preakness going on later today. We're going to have a real poo-poo platter of guests today. We're going to hit a lot of different topics. Caitlin Thompson of Racket Magazine. We're going to do a little French Open preview. We've been neglecting tennis on mm. this show. It's a real crime. Dan Mason is also covering the Preakness for Horse Racing Radio Network. He'll join us. And then Bill Ryder, host of Writer Than You, will join us in the final hour of the show. He's got a new show right here on CBS, and we'll talk some hoops with him. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, when it's time to replace your battery, trust the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts to help you choose the superstar battery that's an exact fit for your vehicle. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Uh, Preakness today, Pimlico, uh, second jewel of the Triple Crown, always dreaming your four to five morning line favorite. Let's welcome aboard 
Anthony Stabile, Horse Racing Radio Network, uh, down at uh, Baltimore, uh, getting set to uh, head over to the track. Uh, good morning, Anthony. How are you, buddy? Good morning, Mark. Hi, Maggie. How are you? Anthony, great to talk with you. Um, okay, so give us a little update. If you're a Baltimore area, not going to be the same kind of conditions today that we had in the Derby, right? Not that slop, not that wetness. What do we expect the conditions to be like? You know, I don't know, Maggie. We had a lot of rain yesterday. Uh, it rained right before the Black Eyed Susan, which is the equivalent of the Kentucky Oaks to the Derby. Okay. And we had a maiden actually win the Black Eyed Susan yesterday. Uh, and it rained for about, I want to say, 45 minutes at the track. And it rained so much that it went from fast to sloppy mm. in about 25 minutes. Does that set up well then for Always Dreaming, who was really good in the slop in the derby? Man, I'll tell you the way things have been going for them, they, they, it is a dream. They don't want to. They don't want to <laughs> wake up from it. I was actually with uh, a bunch of the owners last night down here in Baltimore. Uh, Terry Finley and Tom Bellhouse from West Point Thoroughbred. Nice enough to stop by the uh, the suite we had with Transamerica. I'm down here doing some work for Transamerica this weekend. Um, in the corporate tent. We were over at Camden Yards last night, stayed for some of that uh, extra innings game, and Terry and Tom were nice enough to stop by, came back to the hotel to have a couple of drinks, and would you know it, Anthony Bonomo, one of the other owners of all these dreaming were here. Yeah, you know, their confidence level is very high. Uh, rain or shine, their confidence level is very high. And, uh, you know, after the derby, I can see why their their confidence level is is very high, uh, but yeah, it should certainly help him. We know he has an affinity for a wet track. Anthony, when you look at a field of ten, how many can win the race? Honestly, Mark, I I I don't think more than four of these horses can win this race. Now you're saying, well, you're telling me forty percent of the field can win. You know, I I think forty. I I think four of them can win. I think two of the Derby horses can win. I actually think two of the new shooters can win, and I know the new shooters haven't had the best record um, off the top of my head. Three in the last 17 years, Red Bullet in 2000. Uh, Bernardini, of course, in the ill-fated Barbaro year of 2006, and then Rachel Alexandra completely uh, wowed everybody with her toward the force performance in 2009. So, um, you know, you had some others in the past, but the new shooters historically – are up against it, but I, I don't know. You know, I've always uh, I've I've wavered on this crop as it's thinned out due to injury and whatnot. Um, I think we have a nice little crop here, but we don't have the most trustworthy crop. So uh, this could be a year right for a new shooter. Okay, so who are the four? Obviously, we know Always Dreaming, Classic Empire, those two. But then, who are the other two horses you think can win this race? Very presumptuous, uh, Ms. Gray. That <laughs> I would go chalky, chalky. But you're right. Those okay. are the, those are the <laughs> I just like stopped dead in my tracks. Like you know, I'm not the horse racing expert in the studio or on the phone. So I leave that to you guys. I wouldn't bet hence with your money. <laughs> um, so yeah, from the Derby, I don't think hence going to vera. And my boy looking at Lee, looking at Lee almost made me look like a genius. I was chirping for two months that this was the kind of year looking at Lee comes storming down the center of the track and pays $65. He would have paid 68 and change, but he needed to find that three lengths. I think it's going to be very hard in this race for a deep closer to win. Um, and three of them are actually in the derby, obviously, looking at Lee Henson, 
gun of error. Uh, so it's 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 hard for me to envision a, a deep closer winning this race. And if we stay along those lines, Multiplier, who was one of the new shooters who won the Illinois Derby last time out, he comes from far enough back. Uh, you got a horse like Term of Art, who I don't even know what Term of Art is doing here. Um, I, I really don't. And then you have Senior Investment, who's another horse that's closer. He won the Lexington at Keeneland last time out. Uh, he's at five weeks of senior race. But again, all these horses really taste dependent. Two new shooters I'm interested in are Cloud Computing, who is uh, making just the fourth start of his career. He's trained by Chad Brown. And the horse that I'm, I'm taking a little living with because I'm actually making him my top pick, and that's uh, the horse from New Mexico, Conquest Mo Money. All right, when you look at Conquest Mo Money and you look at the way that this race plays out, I mean, Always Dreaming has had really, you know, a couple of dream trips in a row. Florida Derby, you look at the Kentucky Derby, uh, not a drop of mud on them, uh, and was able to, uh, was forwardly placed. How do you think this game does, how do you think this race does play out this afternoon, Anthony, with uh, Conquest Mo Money looking to get to the lead and Always Dreaming being a horse that uh, that does like to run on the front end? It's a, it's a great point you make, Mark. It, the last two trips were always dreaming. They couldn't have, uh, pun intended, dreamed up better scenarios. Uh, and if you watch that replay in the Derby, everybody comes back. I mean, it is just kicked on. There is muck on every horse and jockey. And Johnny Velasquez, the Hall of Famer, looks like he just walked out of the room. He's so clean. Uh, always dreaming was pretty clean himself, and, and that's hard to do because the horse usually do a little kickback of mud onto themselves, and he was clean as a whistle. Um, and I think that's you know that's certainly a you have to commend John Velasquez for giving him that trip in the Derby. Congress more money has to go to the lead, uh, especially hung up in post ten. Post isn't as big a deal here uh, as it is down in Kentucky, but. He's got to go from post 10, so he goes, always dreaming, sits second. Uh, and then I think Cloud Computing and Classic Empire are sitting third and fourth. Now, that's my theory. That's how I see it playing out, and I think if you polled uh, 100 of my brethren, they would agree, uh, for the most part. But you got a couple of people floating some interesting ideas out there that maybe Classic Empire goes back to his old ways. And when he was a two-year-old to, in route to a two-year-old championship, he had plenty of early speed. And he's uh, he's drawn right to the outside of always dreaming. Maybe his rider, Julian Leperu, is a little more ambitious and a little more aggressive today, and he goes. Um, maybe always dreaming just decides, you know what, Johnny just says, you know what, I'm the best horse. Let me just keep this horse out of trouble today. Let me just put him on the front end, I'm not mess with some conquest more money. Uh, I'm going to go to the lead. You know, there are a couple of interesting scenarios in here. I think the connections and Johnny would just rather have a target, so they'll let conquest more money go. And uh, that's the second to take their chances like they did in Kentucky. We're talking with Anthony Stabile, Horse Racing Radio Network. Of course, the Preakness today, 648, I believe, is the post time this afternoon in Pimlico. Uh, okay, Anthony, we're talking about making money here, and that's what we'd like to give our audience here on a Saturday morning. If you're thinking about betting the ponies, Conquest Mo Money, 15 to 1 odds. Is that the, your best chance to make some major coin, or is there someone else or some other configuration that you're going to be betting that you think will have the biggest return? I am. I don't have a normal stabile slash big A stance on this race. Okay. I am not, uh, I'm not with my chest out on this one, Maggie, which uh, – 
nobody really wants to see my chest out anyway. <laughs> uh, no, I, but we're I, taking your advice. We're taking your advice. Yeah. If you're not feeling good about it, then we don't want to put well, our shackles down. Well, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a box. I'm gonna box the two obvious ones from the Derby, Classic Empire and Always Dreaming. Uh, I'm gonna use the two shoes. I'm gonna use cloud computing, and I'm gonna use Douglas more money. I, I'm a sucker for speed, mm-hmm. and if my scenario plays out correctly, Douglas more money will be a couple of lengths in front. Always Dreaming's gonna be sitting second, and you know Todd Fletcher again. We talked about how he didn't have a great record in the Derby, one for 45. He's over eight here. And this operates different. A lot of his horses just haven't run two steps here. Um, the barn not known for bringing horses back on short rest. Uh, they're actually uh, they actually have a reputation of needing time between races, and their horses give their optimal efforts with five, six, seven, eight weeks between starts. So now you're asking to come back in two weeks uh, on the chase, that which is never an enviable, enviable position. So if I'm right, he's going to go to the lead and Always Dreaming will stop and then Conquest All Money will have a two-length lead. And if uh, Always Dreaming's tank is empty at the quarter pole, he's going to have a three- or four-length lead turning for home and then who's going to come? Classic Empire's going to be coming. And cloud computing is really interesting. Trainer Chad Brown has been very conservative with two, what I think are special three-year-olds this year. Cloud computing had enough points to run in the Kentucky Derby, but they didn't want to sour him on the game. They figured in his fourth start – it was probably a little bit ambitious to ask him to go the mile and a quarter in a race that is normally very roughly run, 20-horse field. You can always get into traffic trouble. You get to run on the rail or post 20, and your day's pretty much over. So they decided to take it easy take it easy on him, get him ready for the freakness. They're doing the same thing with a three-year-old that might be the best three-year-old in the land right now. His name is Timeline. He won the Peter Pan last week at Belmont. Peter Pan's normally a prep for the Belmont, for the Belmont Stakes. Chad Brown already said, I'm not running this horse at the Belmont Stakes. I'm going to wait for races like the Haskell and the Travelers later on in the year. So they're, they're a conservative barn. The fact that he is running this horse in the Preakness speaks volumes as to how talented he thinks he is. And, you know, Javier Castellano, he should work out a really good trip from post two tonight. Anthony, uh, you know, uh, big pro- uh, proponent of Classic Empire this afternoon. Why? What would be the biggest concern you have? Because if Cassie's going to send him, um, you know, in the two-year-old champ after a roughly run Kentucky Derby with really nothing on the line, he must really believe that his three-year-old is going to run a bang-up race. What is the biggest concern you'd have about Classic Empire? I am not. The knee-jerk reaction, Mark, out of the Derby was, and you normally is for most people, all right, let's see if we can beat Always Dreaming in a Freakness. And the Everyone gravitated to Classic Empire. They saw him get slammed at the start of the Derby, which, you know, meant that he lost some early positioning. And he did. I'm, I I can't argue those points. He had a terrible start. He lost positioning. When Julio Ferru finally did get him into position, and you could argue that it was over, that he had done way too much already, I just don't feel from, let's say, the half-mile pole or three-eighths pole to the wire. He did a lot of running. I, I don't. I think he was passing some tired horses. I know he was outside uh, closing, and it was an inside speed bias track. Uh, but for me, he did not do enough running when the real running began to be anxious to take five to two on him today. Can he win? He absolutely can win. Uh, but 
what if that Breeders' Cup juvenile last year was his zenith? What if that was the apex and he's not right. coming back to a race like that? He's in a lot of trouble if he can't get back to a race like that. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying in three starts this year, he hasn't shown me that he can yet, and I don't want to find out in the second duel of the Triple Crown at 5-2. Now, Conquest, Mo Money is your top pick, right? Yeah, Conquest, Mo Money, Cloud Computing, Classic Empire, Always Dreaming. Those are the top four. And if you look at it, if Churchill downs Kentucky, right, and that is like the Shangri-La for thoroughbred <laughs> yeah. racing, right? Today at Pimlico, if you've ever been, today is basically like a frat party at a college campus. These people don't play around in Baltimore. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, honestly, they really don't. I mean, that middle infield down at Pimlico, if it's sunny, it is It is some scene down in Baltimore today. They were having a good time yesterday. The Black Eyed Susan, like I said, was running the rain. They were, I was I was covering for HRN yesterday. They weren't. They didn't budge. They were outside <laughs> watching the race in the rain. They just, you know, what's funny? It, they're they're so they're so they were so well equipped. We didn't have a lot of rain in the forecast down here yesterday. They were just popping out ponchos like they were skittles. They yeah. just came flying out of persons and 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 tote bags, and everybody was ready to roll and raided out the Camden Yards. Like the people down here, walking through Camden Yards last night. Just hearing hundreds, dozens, hundreds of people talking about the Preakness. So it's a big, big deal down here. It's great to be down here. I've been down here in uh, seven or eight years. I came down here for Rachel Alexandra. So it's been a while since 09, so I guess that's eight years. Um, forgot how great a town it is and how, uh, at least for one weekend, you know, they've had some trouble down here in Maryland. Frank Stronach has done right. a great job. He has done a great job uh, uh, helping to keep things afloat here and. He's done a great job with Wall, which is the sister track to Pimico. Pimico needs some work. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm it's not a gonna far. I mean, it, we're right. And it's a farmer's track. I mean, that is what Pimico <laughs> is. I mean, it's a farmer's track. It's not the nicest track. Well, in the then world. maybe it's a perfect setting no, for a frat party. That's exactly right. <laughs> Anthony, enjoy the races today. All right, brother, and good luck. Horse Racing Radio Network. Anthony Stabile joins us throughout the course of the Triple Crown. He likes a little bit of an upset, or give a little bit of a play. Things always streaming is going to be tough to beat. Yeah. We'll see. We're, I'm really looking forward. Second drill, the Triple Crown. I'm always rooting for the Triple Crown, though. Always dreaming. Yes, there you go, That's Maggie Gray. Moose and Maggie, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, rolling right along here on this Saturday morning hour down three to play with. It is the Moose and Maggie Show, 855-2124-CBS, coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. You know, Moose, I'm going to fill you in on a conversation that was going on in the newsroom. We'll get back to your calls before right. the show started. And while I'm looking at the other side of the glass, we have Chris, we have Anthony, we have Duff, and we have Peter all together, this, uh, this, this massive manhood over here. They were having a conversation about the romper for men. The right. romp him, if you will. The romp him. Now, Rompers for Women has been around for a really long time. Now, this was the first time a group of men, and I'm going to put Duff and Anthony and Chris in this one. Peter was was skeptical. They were talking like, wow, we can't wait to get them. We can't wait to buy them. We can't wait to show them off this summer rocking the Rompum. And it was the first time that I've been around a group of men since the Rompum became a thing, and thank you, Cam Newton, for doing that at Coachella and wearing this romper, and now all men are going to be wearing it. It was the first time a group of men were together talking about how much they can't wait to wear one. That I'm Fantastic. not going to lie, Good guys. That, that was not the response at Sports Illustrated this week. The response was, wouldn't be caught dead. <laughs> yeah, I'd never wear that thing. Honestly, 
Even if I had a, you know, if you have a body like Cam Newton, LeBron James would, ne- would never wear that. I mean, just would never. Yeah. I, you it's, know, I had to fill them in on a little something, you know, uh, when women wear the rompers and men wear the rompers. It's much easier for the men because if you have to, you know, take a leak, you don't ha- you, you have the zipper right there or the buttons. Right. For women, it's much different. You basically have to, like, get totally undressed. It's a real, real nightmare. It takes a long time. It's a pain in the butt. I'm over the romper. No way, no how. I got Won't you. do it. But all the guys would They're wear in. They're in it. Good. And I can't wait to see the photos of that. It's going to be beautiful. That's going to help you do what? <laughs> I just look comfortable, honestly. <laughs> they said it's like a, a onesie. Wrap. We're all gonna wear. We're all gonna buy them. We're all gonna wear them in together one weekend. Not Peter. Peter's making sure we tell no. him it's not him. What? No. Watch you wear them out. What is it? Good wearing it here. Why would you wear it here? Wear it well, out no, and about I mean, on well, the town. If we're gonna wear it here, we're gonna have to wear it outside. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean go out yeah, on the like town. We're not gonna bring it in and dress ourselves in here. With go the, out on the town at night. No, no, I get you're not gonna come in here wearing your underwear, but I mean <laughs> you you go out there and you wear it at night. Why don't you hit the bars with that thing? Well, it's actually more of a daytime look, Moose. Well, it, no, it's a little casual because it's shorts. I understand. It's summertime. Summertime, it's gonna right? It's going to be 95 in the city. It's going to be blazing hot. <laughs> I guess go it really depends. Wear, want a little day drinking. Why don't you go out to the bars and wear that thing and, and see how that works out for you? But it depends. If you're going to go to a fancier place at night, you might not want to do the romper unless you're doing like a Cam Newton. It's going to have to be really you could pull stylish. That off. You could pull that off. <laughs> I'm going to buy the romper, get a straw hat and nice shades, shades? and uh, boat shoes. Uh, you could, that's a, a nice look. night look. Good luck with that. <laughs> anyway. These guys, the romp them. They're in. Well, my point is, what is the the goal of that is what? To try and meet women wearing that thing? <laughs> Isn't is that, that always the goal? the goal? Is that is that the goal? What? These guys don't need any help. No, of course. <laughs> I mean, honestly, honestly, they're, they're dressing down. It's their winning down, personalities but... that's going to get them the ladies. Right. Uh, you know, the romper it, is just the, the cherry on top. It's ugly. I mean, honestly, <laughs> you couldn't. It couldn't be a worse look. Would you wear it? 855-212-4CBS. Would you buy it? And these are not cheap, these rompers. They're not just like, you know, they're not flying off the shelves in 1999, especially if you want something that's going to look as stylish as Cam Newton. Tweet us at Moose and Maggie, at right. Mark Malusis, at Maggie Gray. Are you it's, wearing the romper? It's like Easy Money, the Rodney Dangerfield movie, where um, he puts together a, uh, a clothing line called the the Leisure Man, I think it is. And it's the ugliest batch of clothes you'll ever oh, see. Oh, like Kanye's line? Yeah, it's the ugliest batch of clothes you'll ever see. And it's the most hysterical thing to the point where one of the guys sees the outfit and he starts throwing up. <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's just a great scene in the movie, but it's like the most asinine, like, clothes and designs and everything like that. And you got to remember that movie was made, like, you know, late 70s, early 80s. So the clothes were a little bit funkier then. But that's what this is. I mean, this is a case where you take a picture wearing that at night or during the day, whatever the hell you might be wearing it, and five years down the line, it's an instant regret. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, <laughs> you look at it and you're like, oh, my God, place. that's so embarrassing. Why the hell would I be wearing that? I tell you what, this romp in rompum interest, rompum, romp man industry is going to it's gonna be huge. I see it for a lot of bachelor parties. I think guys are going to be like, here, you think the, we're all you, wearing it. Wait, you would you would buy on the romp, uh, romp him industry? You would I buy think in. they are right now, yes. I no, think, no, I'm talking about overall. You think it would be a solid investment to start like producing Haley's, those things? I think it's going to be like Haley's oh, Comet. It's going to be like a flash where people are going to buy them. Ironically, not this group. Maybe I'm this giving, group maybe is buying I, them for real. Maybe I'm giving our society a little bit too much credit. I mean, maybe I am. I mean, it's it's an awful look. <laughs> if it's an awful look. Mark Malusis. 
fashion expert. Uh, no doubt. That, that <laughs> no is an doubt. awful look. I mean, you might, I mean, honestly, if you're wearing that, God bless Cam Newton. He can go out there and get himself talked about by wearing it. And there's looks that Cam Newton can go out there and pull off that nobody else did. A lot there's of hats. No, yeah, there's nobody walking around New York City with rabbit tails, uh, rabbit feet <laughs> hanging or whatever the hell it was, foxtail uh, hanging out of uh, their pockets left and right. So Cam Newton could go out there and do things that not many, not many ordinary men can go out there and do and wear. And God bless him for doing it. This is not a look I think that most men can go out there and pull off. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of look if you are Cam. You know, some of the the Mad Hatter stuff. It, it's it's really yeah. unique to him. It's pretty highbrow, fashiony stuff. But I will just caution this to all the men out there: if you're thinking about buying the romper, you really and you guys are fantastic. You work out a lot. You, you really need to have more of a Cam sort of body. You guys are fine. But it's just just as a little PSA for all the people out there. Sure. A romper is a hard look to pull off, and I'll include myself in this. It is not an easy look. I'd say well, try it on first. Look at yourself in the mirror. 360, three-sided mirror. Well, they did solve the issue that you were talking about with the women aspect of it where you have to take it off. Men, yeah. you can urinate. It. I know, so you, and you have a you zipper. Can. I know, because yeah. everything's always easier for you guys. Right, so it's all good. Easy access. Yeah, it's it's just like uh, you know everything. You guys, you always just improve. You Let's know? head out like to Sacramento. It's George. It's CBS Sports Radio. What's up, George? Oh, how you doing tonight? What's going on? Uh, well, uh, no to the romper. Okay. Yeah. But uh, George has cast his vote. That's one no. Two no. no's if you count Malusis, and then we got three <laughs> yeses on the other side of the glass. Yeah. I just wanted I just wanted to say some things about LeBron. Yep. And. Um, you know, I tried to get in with uh, Nanos on his show. I couldn't make it. But anyway, um, you know, he was talking about how if you're, you know, if you were born like in the 90s, you could possibly know anything about, you know, Michael Jordan and all of those, whatever. But, I, you know, I was born in the 50s. Okay. And I, I'm just here to say I've seen Carl Malone in person. I've seen Charles Barkley. I've seen Larry Bird. I've seen Magic Johnson. And none of those players were ever like LeBron James is now, without a doubt. And 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 he may not be the MVP this year, or and he may not be the MVP period, whenever. Right. But there's no other player that's playing today or then that could play with LeBron James. Now you got to look. Now this is a guy that is 260 or 70 pounds. He's six eight. He's fast as Isaiah Thomas, and and he guards centers. I know he's right. the total package. You're saying the eye test, George. He passes Mary your eye test. That. Yeah, but tell me, tell me the all time great center that's playing in the league right now. Well, it's no all time great center. Right, I understand. You know, is there, I understand is, your is, point. Is, is I there a Is there is there Patrick Ewing playing in the league now, and I'm missing it? No, you're that, not that missing kind it, of but player. It's, but it's people. Well, the but game's players, but the game is completely different. Be, Listen, if you if you tell me if if you stick Michael Jordan in this league where you can't go out there and touch him and you can't be physical with him and you can't knock him down the lane, do you know how many points Michael Jordan would average? Oh, without a doubt. Do you know? How, do you know how dominant? Do you know how dominant Michael Jordan would be in this league? Hey, hey. If you put Michael Jordan, I mean, if you put uh, LeBron James back then, he would adapt it to that. Not, not but he would not. No, no. Hold on a second now. He would not have had the free run to the lane that he does now. 
The Knicks would never. Knicks would have knocked him on his rear end every single time. So would the Detroit Pistons. Well, Moose, here's the thing. Though, and this is, and this no, is it's why, the truth. But this That's is the why truth. also why right now what LeBron is doing is so impressive because in the past, and I'll say this like last year, maybe even a couple months ago, the overall theory was that the one way you can try to stop LeBron or slow him down, the one vulnerability that he had would be taking away the lane forcing him to be a jump shooter, right. and that is how you can potentially stop him. The way that he's shooting right now, though, is just, it's mind-boggling. I mean, he's averaging, what, it's like 48%. He's insane right now in terms of jump shots. Right, but consistently he's gonna, not been that well. Right, right. Like, I don't know if that's going to last. Like, I don't know if, if the Warriors are a much better defensive team, both down low and on the perimeter. I'm not sure if that's going to last. But that is the one thing that is so scary about LeBron right at this moment, which is yeah. if you've taken – if you can't even take away what you thought was going to be – or you can't even uh, hone in, rather, on what you thought could have been a vulnerability. It's not showing right now. I no, mean, no, he's shooting and absolutely so impressive. And if this is now – you know, LeBron has sort of added little things to his game every single year. You know, he's at, went to go work with Akeem, you know, and learn post-up moves. He's always, you know, tapping into people's brains – to try to add things to his toolbox and to his resume. I mean, if this shooting is here to stay, yeah. this is it's mind-boggling to see that he has another gear. I mean, that's what he said about the the Cavaliers. He said, "We can turn the switch. We have another gear." It's, it would be unbelievable to think that LeBron James has another gear. Let's head out to Arlington, Texas. It's Alex at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Alex? Hey, what's going on, guys? I appreciate you taking my call. You got it, Alex. Uh, I just want to talk about this little romper thing. Yeah. Um, hell no. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid. There's no way wow. I'm going to be caught dead in any one of those things. That's like wearing a freaking Giants jersey. Ain't no way <laughs> I will ever Not be caught Texas. dead in one of those things. Okay, but here's the thing, though. Would you ever wear overalls? Because it's, a, it's, it's I not the same. No, I wouldn't even wear, I used to wear overalls when I was like five and my mom dressed me. <laughs> Maggie, that's not even comparable. Hey, but I, I mean, it can't. It's, it's a one-piece thing. One's jeans. That no, you the basically, romper can be jean. Uh, you can have a jean romper. Nate Burleson was wearing that's, on yesterday on TV. It's a high-level short that is based. No, it's not There's even comparable. Shorts. No, no, I understand there's overall yeah. shorts. It's not the same look, though. It's not the same look, but it's almost like if you, instead of you having the clips with the overalls, you know, right bo- near your armpits, instead of that, it's a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> no. There's yeah, your visual. Yeah. Thank you, Maggie. <laughs> Alex is voting no on the romper. All right, Alex, your vote's been tallied. Thank you very much for the yeah. call. I appreciate that. No, I should also terrib- say Peter Schwartz was also a no. Yes, it's a terrible look. So, Yeah. Right now, the no's are, are winning over yeah. the yes's there. But these guys are determined. So. Yeah, Anthony doesn't it's care. It's nice. Like, it's, it's loose. It's a nice floaty garment. Perfect no, not if you wear it right. It's not beach. loose. To the beach. Perfect. Yeah, it's not so much going to be loose, though. You saw cams. It's, that's fitting. That's not loose. That's, that's tight why fitting. I had to do the public service announcement. I mean, you guys are fine. You, you guys want to wear something loose, wear some overalls. Uh, if you're going to wear a romper, that's tight fitting, form fitting. Yeah, you need it, you know. That's that's that shows be, off the bod. Yeah, that'll be hugging uh, the twig and berries. All the right places. Right. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. it. Honestly, I really don't think a lot of people would notice, honestly, you wearing the romper. I, I don't think it would turn heads, honestly. Well, I not in New York City. You, you got to walk, walk down the street with the hair on if fire. If you walk in this building, <laughs> then uh, that's all people would be talking about. What do you mean? They got nothing else better to do. <laughs> that's true. Well, also, it depends if you on the walk fabric. In this building, I mean, honestly. It does depend on the fabric. Because, like, if you come in with some, like, cool seersucker, you come in with something like Kim, you're going to turn some heads. You come in with yeah, one that's like, uh, no, you know, 
Are you walk around in Manhattan? Blend. No, probably not. There's people wearing anything. I mean, honestly. So, no, probably not. But if you walk in this building wearing that, yes, yeah. I think you'd, I think you'd be. I mean, it'd be honestly, there'd be people huddled around your desk for about two hours trying to kill their day. I'll say this: on my way here today, some guy was walking in the middle of the street, five o'clock in the morning, New York City, uptown. He was wearing uh, plaid pants that were like pastel, a big white coat, a flower, but not just like any flower, like a whole stem, long flower nice. sticking out of the front pocket, hair slicked back. He's waving a $20 bill at nothing. Nice. You really got to light your hair on fire in this city if you want to turn heads. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. We'll get into a little sports rewind. We'll do that next. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227, your number to call to get involved. Um, Let's head out to Manhattan. It's Saeed. What's going on, Saeed? Hey, buddy. Hey, Maggie. Hey, Saeed. How you doing? I'm good, good. I'm from Yemen. I live in New York City. And that romper, I don't think, um, I don't know. I I don't like it. And another thing. The LeBron and Michael Jordan comparison. Um, the thing is, with with Michael and his error, he had highlights. He had like amazing shots, dunking on Ewing, amazing like like crazy crowds, and and everybody in the country, even little kids, wore Michael Jordans, even they didn't even like the Bulls. You know what I mean? Sure. And I think LeBron doesn't have that status. He's a great player. He's an MVP, whatever. But I don't think. And he could surpass that, like, he could surpass Jordan, but I think he needs to be more creative because Jordan was very creative and his, like, his, his shots were amazing. Like, he would, you know, he would shoot and he would, you know, like, from without looking and stuff like that. So I think, like, Michael Jordan, his, his status is, is, like, it's way different than LeBron. Because um, Jordan was like um, his 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 highlights were like crazy. I don't know. And I mean, Saida, not to highlights. not to cut you off, but I feel like LeBron has a lot of highlights. I mean, what he was able to do against the Detroit Pistons back in the day when he was playing for Cleveland the first time that was unbelievable. I mean, if you want to go to like individual highlights, though, you look no further than the block. I mean, when they eventually build the statue for Michael, or excuse me, for LeBron James, I hope it's the yeah. block. But it could be a variety of things. I mean, LeBron has so many weapons in his toolbox. I, in a lot of ways, he is a better passer than Michael Jordan was. I mean, he is a better rebounder, obviously, because he's asked to do that. He's guarding five positions. Not that Jordan was a bad re, uh, defender. I know about the first team all defense. I get that. But I mean, I don't see like LeBron not having the same moments as Jordan. No, I think he's had some. Uh, you're talking about the, the killer Craig instinct, Elo, the, the mentality. The I mean, um, yeah, I think there's uh, yeah, there's the 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 killer instinct uh, that Michael has. I don't know if I necessarily think LeBron had a lot of his career. He probably has it more so now than he did before. But um, well, remember we were talking to Muggsy Bogues, right? Yeah. A couple weeks ago, and he just said Jordan it was well, just Jordan's a different a, animal. Is different what he said. animal, right? 
And that's, but that shouldn't be held against LeBron. I don't think, you know, being a facilitator, well, but it's, distributor, it's a positive, but I mean, it's a, it's a positive for Michael, but it's not a matter of being held against LeBron, but if you're going to compare the two about who's greater then w- what exactly are you going to say? Then if you're not going to give positive attributes toward Michael, then what are you going to say? Well, I just feel like LeBron has early in his career. There was the criticisms for passing in big spots, passing up the ball in big spots. Right. And I just feel like he's overcome that. I mean, he passed up the ball to Kyrie Irving in that game seven. I mean, that's just a smart basketball play. I mean, Kyrie I don't, nailed I don't it. Criticize him. But I, I, he, I think I, he's overcome that part. I mean, I think that he's he's demonstrated the killer instinct that maybe he didn't show earlier on in his career when people believe that he was passing up in big spots. He also got you know cramped up in big spots, like physically got cramps, you know, and against the Spurs in the finals, they still ended up winning that series. Um, you know, things like that. I he he endured his amount of criticism for things like that that Jordan never endured the criticism for. Uh, yeah, well, because Jordan, there was nothing to criticize when it came down to that. I mean, so, I mean, it was a case of those that were looking at LeBron James and the criticism that was coming his way. I mean, and, and all this was, I mean, honestly, all this was expected. So we, you would give him credit for going out there, living up to what the expectations were. I think he deserves and, and dealing with all that pressure and playing to that kind of a level. Uh, he deserves a ton of credit for that as well. I mean, so there's. There's positives either way. There, there's really, honestly, uh, I think in everyone loves to get into the debate. If you want to order, uh, argue about LeBron, that's well and good. You can argue about Michael. There's probably more than those guys you can ar- make an argument about as well as being the best player the sport's ever seen. Um, but you're going to have to choose something to decipher things and um, between the two in making your argument. So what could be a positive for LeBron is going to be a negative for Michael and vice versa. Let's head out to uh, Dallas, Texas. It's Purvis. What's going on, Purvis? Hey, what's going on? I was just listening about this Jordan-LeBron debate, and I just feel like that Jordan is so romanticized that we don't look at him realistically. We don't talk about the first seven years when he had Orlando Woolridge putting up 20-5, and Charles Oakley putting up 13-13, and and they weren't making the playoffs. LeBron has made the playoffs, made the finals with any roster you give him. Every coach he's had, he's taken, where is Mike Black? He's been he's David a NBA Finals coach. Where is Mike Black? Nobody David knows. We Black, didn't know David who Mike Black. Brown was until uh, Kerr got uh, sick. Yeah. LeBron, LeBron is one of the few people in sports that has been hyped up before before going pro and has ultimately lived up to the hype. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think he's also lived, you know, wire to wire in the social media era, which I think is something that he deserves credit for as well. If we're talking about away from the court, listen. I, I'm there with you. I mean, I, LeBron has changed my mind and what he's yeah. been able to do. And I think there's obviously a lot more to come. And I hope there's a lot more to come. I mean, what he's doing right now is just, it, it's it's like beyond comprehension in a lot of ways. I think how he's playing. And I hope I'm not, you know, I think all the hyperbole is totally deserved in this, in this case. Um, he's just, he's taken himself to another level. Should we do a little sports rewind sure. before the bottom of the hour? Yeah, let's get let's to it. it. A little sports rewind. Okay, Moose, we're going to stick with the basketball theme. May 20th, 1995, Mario Eli beats the Suns on the kiss of death shot. There you go. Game seven of a classic semifinals matchup between the Suns and the Rockets. Phoenix point guard Kevin Johnson came up large. He scored 46 points, 21 coming from the foul line. When the playoffs were good again. (laughs) And dishing out tennis. Ah, memories. Charles Barkley had a bad shooting game, but once again put up great numbers when his team needed him most. 18 points, 23 rebounds. Five assists, but the visiting Rockets stayed in the game anyway, thanks in large part to a pair of 29-point 
outputs from Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler, and an 18-point performance from Sam Cassell off the bench. The hero of the game was none of the above. With 7.1 seconds to go in the fourth quarter, shooting guard Mario Eli sank a sideline three that gave the Rockets a 113-110 advantage. As the Rockets bench celebrated, Eli blew a kiss to the stunned Phoenix crowd. Houston would win 115-114 and advance to the Western Conference Finals once again. It was the second straight season in which the Suns had led the Rockets 3-1, only to lose the final three games. Houston went on to win the NBA Finals and swept the Orlando Magic in four games. For the Suns, it was an especially devastating loss, particularly because Barkley told reporters after the game that he planned on retiring. His quote, I'm not saying this is 100% done, but I'll say more than likely I've played my last game. He was 32 years old at the time. He played through back issues for years. He said, it's just time. It's time. I can't see my skills getting better. I can only see them getting worse. Barkley would wind up playing another five seasons and finish his career with the Houston Rockets, playing alongside uh, Akeem Olajuwon, who had once referred to him as a big old crybaby. <laughs> they teamed up as teammates in Houston. This day in 1995, May 20th, Marielli beats the Suns on Kiss of Death shot. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, sign up to be an O'Rourge member today. Start earning instantly. O'Rourge members earn $5 back for every 150 points you earn. It's fast, easy, free only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. See store for details. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Let's hit the guest line a little, Maggie, right? Yeah, let's do it because you know as well as I do that the French Open begins on Monday, Moose. May yes. 22nd, Caitlin Thompson she is the publisher of Racket Magazine, something I would highly suggest. If you are a tennis fan, you will absolutely love it. She also has a tennis podcast. It's called, what else? The Main Draw. Nice. She does a fantastic job. Caitlin, thank you so much for getting up early this morning and joining us. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. Doing fantastic. Looking forward to talking tennis with you. And we might as well start with the controversy. I mean, let's just go right to the heart of the matter. Maria Sharapova, you've probably seen the headlines if you're scanning the sports pages. She was suspended for 15 months. She was taking a banned substance, but a substance that was recently banned. It's basically a heart medication that she was taking, even though she doesn't have a heart condition. Now, she was had a suspension for 15 months, so her rating or ranking, rather, dropped out of the top 200. So if she wants to get into a major, she needs a wild card. And the people, the powers that be at Roland Garros did not grant her this wild card. So, Caitlin, this is very controversial. I'm curious where you stand on this one. Should Sharapova had gotten a wild card, or are you okay with her sitting this one out? I, in, in a way, this is going to be a weird answer, but both. Okay. Both in the sense that she probably should have gotten one. Roland Garros was pretty stupid in not giving her one. I mean, the sport is all about selling tickets, getting people to show up. She is one of the sport's most compelling figures. She's won the tournament twice, and she's absolutely been dominant. Um, in the past at that tournament and has made pretty good signs since she's come back. That said, it's totally within their rights to do it. Uh, so the controversy is uh, interesting in the sense, and it's very French in a way. The French are super, you know, they're going to go uh, left when everybody else goes right. So <laughs> it wasn't wrong that they decided that in the sense that, like, it, it was not within their rights to do it because certainly nobody is making them. And a lot of the players who've been really jawing about it, who don't think it's fair that she's been getting these exceptions, are certainly happy. But on the other hand, like, they're only shooting themselves in the foot because everybody wants to watch this woman. As a matter of fact, Stuttgart, the first tournament where she came back, some of the matches weren't being streamed everywhere, and people had an uproar because they couldn't watch Mary Sharapova here in the States. So 
you know what? Ultimately, I think they, they did themselves a disservice by not showing this woman who everyone wants to see play. But you know what? That's their call. No, it, it certainly is. It doesn't you know help interest or, or sell seats. But is it the right call? Um, you know, do you think she deserves uh, or should be in this tournament? Uh, I think the the responsibility of the sport is to put the absolute best to most compelling tennis on uh, on the court and get people to care about it. Okay. And so from that perspective, I actually do think it was the wrong decision. Okay. Um, you know, and what, you know, for me personally, like I'm not a huge purist when it comes to enhancing drugs. So I, I don't even know, this feels very arbitrary to me, her suspension anyway. And I think they came down a little bit hard on her. Um, you know, so if I had to go one way or the other, I would actually say it was like bad on both counts, both to give her the suspension for the length that they did for the infraction. And then also obviously to not, to choose not to put the best possible tennis on the court at all times, which, you know, until things prove otherwise, that's, that's Maria Sharapova. You know, Caitlin, I feel like your sentiment in terms of how harsh her penalty was for the the performance-enhancing drug suspension, that was a widely purveyed uh, opinion, that it was too harsh. You know, that, that, that tennis was really overreached here in, in suspending her for 15 months. I'm just curious, though, about the players themselves didn't seem like a lot of them came to her defense. And I'm wondering, is that just the natural competition where obviously it's better for me if someone who's really, you know, who's better than me is out of the draw? Or is that because the the players really thought that she was cheating? Like, how did the rest of the, the women on tour feel about it? You know, it's hard to say because I think from where I sit, there are a lot of rumors about a lot of sort of questionable practices, people going to other countries to get maybe – stem cell treatments, yeah, which right. are not totally illegal, but are not totally illegal. Um, I think, honestly, what most of this comes down to is the fact that while every player wants to be as absolutely best positioned as they possibly can in this very individual sport, there are players who are locker room favorites, as we say, and there are players who are absolutely not locker room favorites. And I think have had Maria Sharapova been more uh, well-liked among the tour, more congenial, more sort of friendly, a better sort of uh, uh, sort of you know, colleague to be playing the sport with, which is individual, sure, but, like, these people travel together for 10 months out of the year, week in and week out. Um, I have to doubt that there would be as much jawing as there was among other players. So I think a lot of it just came down to the fact that she's really, really not well-liked. Her team keeps to themselves. And, yeah, like, there were there was obvious, uh, you know, evidence of her breaking the rules, which, you know, to her credit, she owned up to. So I'm no great Maria Sharapova defender, but I think both the sentence was harsh and the other players aren't really doing themselves much of a service by by jawing about it. Because the fact is, like, and this is why I think a lot of us love Maria Sharapova, at the end of the day, she's going to show up on the court with intense Russian fury. And I don't know why you would want to get on the other side of that if you didn't have to. You know what I mean? Like, let your racket do, this, do the talking and don't necessarily position yourself to, to try to take down Maria Sharapova. Do it with your racket. We're like in, sorry, intense Russian fury is like yeah. something that we may see like at the uh, the Comey uh, yes. <laughs> hearing. <laughs> like, we're we're going to hear that one again. Uh, you should, I, you should trademark that. that. <laughs> We're talking to Caitlin Thompson, uh, Racket Magazine. What about the opportunity here? You know, no Sharapova, Serena out, uh, pregnant. Uh, what about the opportunity here for the women's game and, and for someone to go out there and uh, maybe uh, either reassert themselves, a new star is born? Well, what about the women's game here without Serena? But I think both of both of those options are probably equally likely. And for me, I'm somebody who likes tumultuousness at the tour. I don't like it when the same four end up in the semifinals week, in, week out, which is good because you're not going to get them on the women's tour even in the best of times. Serena's probably the only one who can lock in for any of the finals for the tournament she's played. And as you said, she's out. Victoria Azarenka is also not back from maternity leave, and those are kind of like your, your standard favorites. 
for me, there's a couple of like clay court specialists who are absolutely wonderful, have had good clay seasons and are going to be tough to beat. Simona Halep is one of them. She just won the tournament last week in Madrid. Um, she's looking good right now in Rome. Garbina Muguruza, who won the tournament last year, she was that very tall, very young Spaniard who took out Serena Williams kind of unexpectedly. Um, she's also having a pretty good clay season. Um, and then there's a woman named Kiki Lomodenovich, who is French, and she's been by far the biggest uh, jawer against Maria Sharapova, and it was a little bit tense when they met two weeks ago uh, in, in Stuttgart. So all of the sort of women that are positioning themselves well for clay have very different and very interesting stories. And for me, I'm somebody, my highlight of the French Open on the women's side of all time was when Francesca Schiavone, a very unheralded but beloved Italian, won it in 2010 with a beautiful sweeping sort of throwback game. Nobody saw it coming, but who cares? Because when you got there, it was so undeniably beautiful and fun to watch. That's the kind of tennis I like. I don't need to know the names. I just want to be able to like right. soak in the strokes. Yeah. And so I think you're definitely going to get that on the women's side. You know, Caitlin, noticing no Americans, though, in, 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 the, in that list of women, right? I mean, no Americans. Uh, where, where are the Americans right now? I mean, you're going to hear the same sort of names. You know, you got uh, Vanderway, you're going to have Madison Keys, players like that. You know, when the U.S. Open comes around, get a little bit more buzz and burn. But where are the Americans right now? And you know what? Let's, let's expand it out. Where is it on the men's side, too? Where are yeah, we I mean, right now? We're, it's a little bit of a tough spot. I'd actually say the women are not in a dire situation. Obviously, Madison Keys uh, is a, an incredibly sort of filled with potential player. She did really well in Rome, the tournament that's happening right now. Uh, last year, she lost a very grueling final to Serena. Um, Madison is, I think, America's best hope on clay specifically, but she's coming back from an injury and it's still sort of working some things out. I don't know how deep she's going to go Roland Garros, but watch out for her on grass, which is the surface that immediately follows when, uh, follows Roland Garros. Then they switch to these tournaments in all sorts of beautiful locales, culminating, of course, in Wimbledon. Um, the same with Vandeweghe, actually. Vandeweghe is not supposed to be a clay court player, which is why I'm not even mentioning her. She's got a huge serve. She's got huge ground strokes. Um, she's like a power tennis babe. Um, Clay really slows her game down, so there's absolutely no reason she should be doing well on clay, and she's done okay. So, again, those two players specifically, look for them on grass, and if they're not performing on grass, then it's time to get really worried. Um, the men, you know what? They're they're kind of a mixed bag. Like, Isner, shockingly, is doing really well right now. This is a reminder to everybody, the six-foot, I think he's like six eight. He's enormous. He's got a huge serve, huge forehand. Doesn't move particularly well. Somehow he's doing pretty well on clay right now. He's, uh, he's into the Rome semis, which is shocking everyone. Um, he usually, again, does better on grass because he's such a big hitter. Um, but actually, Jack Sock is America's hope. He has proven that clay is his best surface. He hasn't been flashy, but he's slowly worked his way up in the ranks. He's won a bunch of clay court titles, uh, including one last year in Houston um, here on the American uh, sort of clay swing. And he's got the kind of game that can really do well. So I actually wouldn't be surprised if Jack Sock, given a decent draw, um, goes pretty deep in the tournament. Um, I'm curious, when you look at, uh, no clay for Federer, correct? Absolutely not. He didn't even play a single tournament, which at least people thought he was going to play the, the French. But nope, he's not going to do it. Not going to set foot on clay. Now, the why that decision? I mean, I, I know where he is at this stage of his career, but why do you think that he made that decision, Caitlin? I mean, he did, he's doing something that um, Serena Williams did a couple of years ago and actually still does, which is just play an incredibly conservative schedule. In this case, he has pretty much no chance to win anything on clay. Preparing for it, getting your body attuned to it, um, switching immediately after to grass um, is a little bit – it's a tough swing because, like I said, the tournament ends on a Sunday, and the next day you're supposed to be somewhere playing on grass. I mean, that's obviously assuming you made it all the way through, but still – 
that's not a lot of time for these players to prepare their bodies. In the case of Federer, the guy's at the very end of his career. I think he knows it. He's playing the kind of schedule that you play to basically say, I'm only going to take my shots, and I don't have a single shot on clay, especially with Nadal playing as well as he is. The men's side, actually, the young guns are coming up and really proving themselves on clay, including Dominic Team, who just took out Nadal yesterday in Rome. He's an Austrian guy, and he is kind of part of this new generation that I think will dominate more. Fed's got to make really, really smart choices, and that includes preserving his body. So it's not a surprise to me at all, and I think it's really smart. Yeah, I mean, and Wimbledon is his playground. Oh, just, you know, yeah. it's just it's so beautiful to watch him play on grass. Caitlin Thompson is our guest. Racket Magazine It's just gorgeous. I love the cover for this one, Caitlin. It's Maria Sharapova's, uh, like, a sculpture of her head. And if people out there, if you are a Genesis fan, like the band Genesis, <laughs> then you'll remember that – their song Land of Confusion, which I'm possibly going to sing at karaoke later on tonight. Wow. And you remember, like, yeah. the puppet heads of, like, Gorbachev and, and Ronald Reagan? It's, like, the same style. This this could not be any more up my alley, no pun intended, if that was even why that, that phrase became a thing. I thought it was after <laughs> tennis. You know, Caitlin, final really thought for me here is about Nadal. You mentioned how well he's playing right now. Obviously, injuries created some setbacks. Uh, last year, maybe 18 months ago, maybe now we're, gosh, we're talking about two years ago. But here's a, a ph- philosophical question about, about Nadal. For as much as I love Uncle Tony, <laughs> has he managed and, or in some ways mismanaged Nadal at the later stages of his career? Because right now it seems like he's playing this incredibly packed schedule. And I just don't understand why he wouldn't go a little more the Federer route, you know, pick his chances, uh, pick his spots a little bit more, and, and why he's just playing so much right now. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm going to say something really weird, and I think it's going to kind of tie into why it's probably unwise to have your family member be your manager under almost any circumstances because they're just too close to you. I'm going to say I think Nadal really wants to be out there. I think everything in his persona tells me that he, from the way that he plays the very first point to the one that matters, the last one, match point, he is just dogged. I think he's the kind of guy who has a hard time passing up a hit on vacation even though he knows he's not supposed to play that day i think that's the kind of guy he is and i think maybe uncle tony is not able to keep him from the court i wouldn't say that about every player god knows when i was a d1 player i did not approach the sport the same way but in terms of nadal's desire i think he just wants to keep playing i think he sees the clock ticking away and he thinks everything about me is tied up in this sport and this identity of combat uh combating on on the tennis court and i can't stay away and i don't think uncle tony necessarily has the uh honestly the the credibility as like a sort of outsider but also as a family member maybe the 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 desire to sort of sway him so that's the only thing i can figure because you're absolutely right it's tough on his body he plays a very high impact game and he's grinding although the will one thing i will say if you are an adult fan and you're watching him on these this clay swing he's playing very very condensed points he's Mm -hmm. not doing those like 20, 40 ball rallies. Right. He's really trying to end points quickly and stay a little bit more on top of the baseline instead of way, way, way back in the in the back of the court where he likes to hang out. And that's because he's trying not to elongate points. He's trying to save himself for, uh, you know, the duration of a week-long, but more importantly, two-week-long tournament, which is what the French Open is. Um, so he's he's definitely nodding to the fact that his time is valuable. But I, actually, I have to say, I think he just really wants to play. And I think that that might be exactly who we think he is he is, yeah. and that's an interesting way to look at it, I think. Caitlin, we have 30 seconds here. Who do you, Give us a couple picks. Who should we favor here in the men's and women's draw? This is going to be weird. Dominic Team. Watch okay. out for that name. One-handed backhand has figured out both Federer and Nadal. Uh, the other one is Kyrgios. He's, uh, he's a firecracker. He's kind of 
loved and hated, but he can beat anybody on any given day, and I think he's got by far the most talent of anyone on the tour, men or women. Uh, women's side, uh, i got to like Garbina Muguruza. I love the way she plays. She dominates on clay. She, she's an aggressive uh, sort of an aggressor, um, but she's also got all the weapons and, and can make a plan B. No matter what happens, I am delighted. This is my absolute favorite tournament, and if you're new to tennis, Watch it. To watch. Caitlin Thompson, Racket Magazine. Fantastic. Thank you. The podcast is called The Main Draw. Caitlin, love it. Enjoy your tennis game today. There you go. Did a great job. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. It's such a cool magazine, too. I highly recommend it. It is. It's like the old, well done. Yeah. Well done. Artistic and cool. Yes. Yes. Moose and Maggie, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, hour number three here on this Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio. We are coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Uh, second jewel of the Triple Crown. Uh, we talked to Anthony Stabile earlier on in the program. Now let's welcome aboard Dan Mason, both from Horse Racing Radio Network, joins us now. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Good morning, Moose. Good morning, Maggie. I'll be there with uh the big A later on today. Yes, I know. You guys will be broadcasting and having a good time and enjoying uh, the Preakness, Dan. And, and we had you on before the Derby. When you look at this field and specifically always dreaming, you know, four to five on the morning line, um, should he even be a heavier favorite uh, with how he's looked uh, this week down in Pimlico from your perspective? You, know, you could make that case for sure. You sure could. He, he's been brilliant. And, you know, Moose, when he galloped out after the Derby, you know, he looked like he could go around again. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Winning by such a convincing margin. I mean, it's such a spectacular horse. I guess what's the biggest drawback then, Dan? I mean, is there any is there any cause for concern that Always Dreaming will not get the job done today? You know, Maggie, the only thing I can see, I, I think it's not inconceivable that Conquest Mo Money and uh, Always Dreaming could just battle it out and leave the rest of the field behind and maybe he might not be the best horse that day, and he could get beat by the horse on the outside, conquest more money. Now, that's been saying a lot for the 10 post position. That's not much fun in the Preakness, but he's an interesting horse, conquest more money, and, I, you know, he's the only thing I can see. I mean, we can talk about classic empire. I, I'm really concerned about classic empire. Tell um, us why, Dan, because, uh, you know, I would be under the, the assumption that um, that Cassie wouldn't send unless he really believed uh, that that his three-year-old was ready to fire. Give me the concern from your perspective, Dan, about, uh, about uh, the second choice on the morning line. Well, first of all, Moose, you're absolutely right. I would have held back for the Belmont. and uh, But to your point, he's got a great trainer and he knows what he's doing. But here's my concern. Number one, I got two. Number one, he really fought hard to win the Arkansas Derby. That wasn't an easy race. He beat Conquest more money at the wire. And then secondly, you know, okay, I get McCracken jostled him out of the gate, but he just, he, he did not, he didn't want to participate, it looked to me like. Yes, he was fourth, but that wasn't a big deal. He wasn't really close to the second and third finishers. So, I, I mean, how much can a horse take? This is an endurance thing. Can take, now, take that bag and compare it over here to Always Dreaming, who barely had any mud in his face after the, after the uh, derby was over. I know. So, that The photos were so clean, Dan, <laughs> for, yeah. in, the, in the winter circle. When he's he wearing great. the roses, it was, like, it was like before the race, it almost looked like. You could accuse somebody of wiping his face before he had his picture taken. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, Dan, how how good do you think he is? Uh, when we, you know, is it a 
Is he the the best of a weak crop? Is he, you know, we, a couple years ago when American Pharaoh wins the Triple Crown, I'm not going to put him on that level yet. He's still got a lot of work to go out there and do. But, you know, you've said it, you've seen all the reports all week long that he's thriving after the Derby win. His Derby victory was impressive. Now, just how good do you think Always Dreaming is, Dan? Well, I've seen him run three of his races live. And I, I tell you, we've talked about this in the past when a horse is, so good you can barely hear them touch the ground and he's one of these kind now i'm not suggesting that he's a triple crown winner either moose but he's he's special he really is special and um so far he's proven that we're talking with dan mason he's covering the preakness for the horse racing radio network um you know dan with some of the the horses that were in the derby that we remember some of these names gunavera uh looking at lee things like that do you think that besides always dreaming, do you think one of those horses could reverse their fortunes from the Derby and potentially pull out a win at the Preakness? I'm going to take a shot on looking at Lee in the in the exotics. Yep, he ran a really nice race. And you always you try to get somebody who's on an uptrend and not a downtrend. And he's run two races. His last two races have been closing at really nice clips. So I'll I'll take a shot on that with the other two. What about the – you mentioned the when we were talking about Conquest Momoni earlier, uh, and he's one of the, the new shooters, one that didn't run in the Derby that's here for the Preakness. Uh, Dan, what about some of the other new shooters when you look at it in, in, in this race? It's a small field of 10, not a – you know, they're not at the, uh, at the you know, at their limit uh, for the Preakness. But when you look at the, the new horses that arrived that didn't run in Kentucky, who do you think's got the – who do you think is the biggest danger? Well, I, I don't know how much of a danger to always dreaming, but I look at it as a possibility for the exotics. I kind of like Multiplier, the horse on the rail that won the Illinois Derby right there where, he, where you guys are. And um, you, the speed has been – this track has been so fast this week. It's been raining and then it dries. And when you get that rain-dry effect, it's, it moves. It's like the old days of Little League when, you, when the rain would come and then it would – be graded and boy it would be nice and crisp and you'd feel you'd feel great walking on that field and that's kind of what you've got and i think on the one post position on the rail is a pretty good place to be now he doesn't have a lot of speed but he it's a good position for him to be and i think he's i mean come on he made he broke his maiden went right into the illinois derby and won that so remember war emblem back in 2002 True, you're right about that. War emblem on the front end, uh, firing away for Bobby Baffert. And well, he won the Preakness. Yeah, right yeah. We're talking with Dan Mason. He's covering the Preakness for Horse Racing Radio Network. All right, Dan. Let's talk about the long odds. You know, for someone like me, if I'm just having a little fun, want to spread a little money around, what's a long odds? What's a dark horse? No pun intended, I guess. <laughs> uh, what is? What's the long odds that you think has a shot here? You know, I tell you what, I'm going to do. I read this article. And um, the racing dudes, it's a, they're pretty good handicapping guys that uh, have hit that trifecta at Churchill Downs, uh, that big one last that for Derby Day. And I, that, I had never considered this as a betting strategy, but I'm going to try it this time. I'm going to take Always Dreaming, and then I'm going to take Conquest More Money and put them in separate lines, if you might, for lack of a better term. And then I'm going to start mixing in others, like looking at Lee, uh, maybe a multiplier under each one. And I might put the two of those two together. But the theory was that you only play the winning horse on top and then you put the long shots in under the exotics, for the exotics. That, that, that was pretty darn good because when you get 
two favorites that are in your trifecta, then you don't get, you know, it's not your, what you're looking for, Maggie. So you, what you want to do is to take that favorite on top and then uh, rotate courses underneath him for the try. Dan, what would a victory today for Always Dreaming do for the sport? Um, you know, you cover it on a, a daily basis for the Horse Racing Radio Network. Uh, we, we've seen a Triple Crown winner a couple years ago with American Farrell. What would a victory today by Dreaming uh, and, and then set it up three weeks from today for a potential another Triple Crown uh, at the Belmont Stakes? What would a win today mean? Oh, it would be great. It would be, you, know, it's, you know what the fever's like, Moose. It's just like people start talking. People start you know, I get more calls from people <laughs> talking about the race. So it's just a, it's it's like the horse racing Super Bowl. I mean, it's let's that's why I'm pulling for him. I, I would love to see it for the sport. Okay, we we've talked a little bit about the the feeling and the vibe around Pimlico, yeah, and just how different it is than the Kentucky Derby, and I'm sure it's very different from Belmont. But Dan, in your own words, we, we had some uh, some describers and descriptive words like. Frat party, <laughs> Com- complete and utter, uh, you know, uh, oh, you know chaos. what show, I chaos, mean, what is, yeah. everything. How would you describe uh, the scene at Pimlico and compare it to the Derby? Well, I can only, I, let me give you what, I've been around Preakness and the Pimlico for a long time because I'm a Maryland resident, but it's interesting. In, in the grandstand <laughs> area, you don't have all the, necessarily the corporate suites and all that. But the infield area, it's not all frat parties and, and, what, and everything that comes to that because half of that infield is divided up into corporate tents. Okay. So you have a really mixed, you know, Under Armour has a huge site there for a corporate tent. So you have a mix of, of each side right there in the infield. So it's, it's very picturesque to say the least. Right, and but the the one side there there is still the party scene on on the one side. I mean, I I don't go to the Pim, I don't go to the Preakness every year. Dana went a number of years ago, and I'm sure the rules have changed since. But uh, my dad, and my uncle, uh, and myself, uh, we drove down there, and we actually saw at, at that time a couple of college kids dragging in a casket, uh, an actual casket Whoa. that was filled with beer uh, into the infield. Uh, early on in the morning to get themselves ready for the day. It is a scene in that infield. Wait, and wait. That, away from the corporate tent, I agree <laughs> with you there. Outside of that, the other part of it, it is a scene. Wait, wait, Moose, nobody was in the casket leaving nobody the race was, that day, no, right? Okay. Nobody was in the casket. No, that was coming. No, that was coming. It's yes. like, you know that term, like, I'm going to leave here in a body bag. I just want to make sure that it didn't actually happen. That's exactly right. It's fun. Everyone, they, it's a... It's really a big time party. Everyone enjoys the racing, right, Dan? Yeah, it should be a nice day here too today. Uh, it's a little overcast now, but I don't think we're going to get any rain. Uh, so, who do you like today, Dan? I'm going with Always Dreaming. Got to go with him, Moose. You got to. I hate to say the chalk, but I'm going to do it, and uh, for two reasons: because I think he's the best bet, and because I really, really want him to win. <laughs> there you go. A little rooting interest. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Dan Mason covering the Preakness for Horse Racing Radio Network. Thank you, Dan. Really appreciate it. Hopefully, we'll have a potential triple crown on the line to talk to you before Belmont. May the horse be with all of us. There you go, Danny. Yes, that's that's exactly right. Harvey Peck would say that all the time uh, for Naira. Uh, may the horse be with you. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting. I, listen, he's the deserved favorite. It's going to be tough to beat him. Uh, you could see a scenario where she loses. I, I'm I'm going to take a little bit of a, a run and look at Classic Empire okay. um, and at, uh, hopefully get 5-2, to 3-1. to one. Is I think he's a really talented three-year-old. I think he's got an opportunity to get a much better run of it uh, than he did in the Kentucky Derby. But if he wins, it would not. Uh, it, 
he's the most likely winner. He's a well-deserved four to five favorite. Okay, we'll see. And then we'll start talking about the greatest horses of all time. Oh, you know, that, this is, uh, we got a lot more to unpack. That's exactly right. He just needs to win today. We'll get into the LeVar Ball conversation, uh, what transpired this earlier this week on Fox Sports 1. Um, Richard Dice will join us later on this hour um, from Sports Illustrated a little bit later on. We've got Wake Up Call as well. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, Richard Dice will join us. Sports Illustrated coming up about 20 minutes from now. Moose and Maggie with you. And Maggie, interesting where um, this past week, LeVar Ball on... um, the one and only. Right. On Fox Sports 1, uh, you know, continues to show his true colors. I think so. I mean, and and showing his backside a little bit, too. Because, listen, here's the thing. We have to separate, I think, some parts of LeVar. Could he possibly be a pioneer in the industry of, like, branding and shoes and marketing your kids and all that stuff? Possibly. Right. And maybe he deserves some credit for that. But, you cannot totally divorce what he's now been saying. I mean, I know a lot of people had different reads on what went down on the Colin Coward show between LeVar and Christine Leahy. But from my vantage point and how I read that is that he was inc- incredibly dismissive, at times threatening, did not deny that he was threatening her. Right. That comes off as sexist and misogynist. And, you know, he's on a, he's on a show where he's having a, one conversation with Colin Coward where they're, like, kissing each other's behinds and backsides. Meanwhile, he's completely uh, dismissing the co-host of the show. I don't think this is, like, a man-woman thing, though. Part of it, I mean, the sexism and misogynism, but misogyny, rather. You know how people, though, are are really um, criticizing Colin Cowherd right now because he didn't come to the defense of Christy Leahy. And he's saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to let her fight her own battles. And I think that's all well and good. But I just can't imagine, Moose, man or woman, if a, if a guest comes on and they're being completely antagonistic to you, why would I then be treating them like we are best friends from back you in the day be. and that I'm, like, bowing down and, and kissing your backside? Like, you that would be, be disrespectful to you, man or woman. I, so on the one I side where LeVar is showing, you know, listen, what are some of the buzzwords that we've already attached to LeVar Ball? Possibly racist. Sexist, misogynist. I mean, all these things that he is, that he, you know, we can only judge him by his words, that all these things that he can claim to be or that he's he's revealed, rather, I think are absolutely true. But then on this, but for this particular thing, this new thing that happened this week with his uh, appearance on Colin Coward, the stay in your lane, but also saying you get what's coming to you. I mean, that kind of stuff is just, there's no basis for that. There's no room for that. It's threatening. And then for Cowherd to be there, I understand not coming to her defense. She can do that on her own. But don't be sitting there having a conversation like everything is sunshine and rainbows between you and LeVar while he's being right. openly I mean, people, hostile to a co-host, right. male or female. Right. People can he, – he can rationalize it how he, however he wants. I mean, he came across as soft. I mean, a pandering to a guy that they're desperate for ratings, desperate for some sort of attention. And that's really what this is. I mean, honestly, where it's embarrassing. Um, it's embarrassing where – you put a guy on that all he does is drum up nonsense, but because he's going to say something irrational and something either he said bigoted stuff, now you look at it, uh, what he did this past week, um, completely out of line. Uh, now it comes down, and everyone's everyone's guilty of it. But it comes a point, and, and Maggie, I said at the time after he said the stuff about the you know UCLA lost to Kentucky because of the three white players on the court. 
Uh, meanwhile, his son got completely outclassed by De'Aaron Fox and couldn't catch up with him. If I gave him, if I gave him a car, he couldn't have hung with De'Aaron Fox that night because of the foot speed that Fox has and the foot speed that Ball does not have. Put that aside. Um, you look at you look at what he is after that. People still go back to him. That's the remarkable thing. When does when does is now it? And, and we'll talk a little bit more here with Richard Dice. But I mean, is this it? I mean, wh- when do you reach a point here where you say enough's enough? I can no longer give him airtime. He's no longer worth it on radio. He's no longer worth it on TV. Because if you continue to put it on then you yourself are complicit. And any rationale that Colin Coward wants to go out there and throw out there now up against the wall of why he didn't do it, she can fight her own battle, he embarrassed himself. Flat out embarrassed himself. And I'd say that to his face if he was sitting right here. Flat out embarrassed himself during that interview. He could go out there and say whatever he wants to help him sleep up at night. He did not go. Nobody, if you're going out there working with someone on a day-in, day-out basis, as you said, Maggie, man or woman, you cannot go out and someone that you work with on a day-out basis being disrespected and you do not say anything, and meanwhile you continue to basically kiss the rear end of LeVar Ball during the course of the interview, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing as he sits in his God chair. It's embarrassing. Well, let's break that because you said when is it going to become not worth it for LeVar Ball to be given a microphone and given a platform on a lot of big shows? Well, it will... As, as Coward has said himself, they're breaking records in terms of digitally. They had this moment that went viral. So I think that most people would say, or if you're being, you know, sort of, I don't want to be too cynical about our industry, but it, there's a lot of fight now for clicks. Right. And I think because it is technically, it is worth it, when, as, it as it translates to eyeballs and, and ears, it is worth it to keep having LeVar on. I don't think this is ever going to stop. I think the more he says and the and the more outrageous things that he says, I mean, this is how it all got started in the beginning. He started talking about how I could he could beat Michael Jordan in his prime, how his kid's better than Steph Curry, et cetera, et cetera. That's what first got us to this place where we even wanted to put a microphone in his face. Well, now he's revealing a lot of true colors. And I think in some ways it's fanning the flames because now it's giving us sort of, quote unquote, real things to talk about. Talking about whether or not you can be Michael Jordan in your prime, that is just blowhard clown buffoonery. Talking about whether or not this guy went on a national radio show and was a sexist and misogynist and possibly threatening to a host, well, now we're getting, now we're talking about something. Now right. that's a real thing. Before it was just this gas baggery, hot air. But no, I mean, but it was, I mean, even before this, he said something that was racist. Oh, well, yeah, that's when it started to turn. You know, right. where people start feeling like, okay, now the Lakers might actually really pass on Lonzo because well, of what LeVar is playing. I don't think they will. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody is going to go out there and pass on his son because of, of his dopey father. But that's what he is. He's a dope. Maggie, maybe I know, the I'm latest wrong. round, though, if I'm I Jeannie mean, Buss, I don't know if I love that. I mean, and he, it, it shouldn't take a woman owner to have that opinion. But I don't know if I like that. Because I'm, I don't I'm want not sure Ball you, I'm, listen, those kinds of But things. that's not Lonzo Ball. I mean, there, there comes you have to draw a line between him and his father. Well, Do you, though? You have to. If he keeps getting the microphone put in his face, I, I mean, is there, I, he, whether that's fair or not to Lonzo, it, right. and it's not fair, quite frankly, I'll just say that. It's not fair to him. But if I'm the owner of a business, do I have to draw the line? Because I would. That's your brand. No, I, I agree. It's his brand against your brand. At some point in time, he's going to cut away from his father. You know it and I know it. At some point in time, it's going to become too much. When, you know, when he's got the money in the bank, when he's established himself, and when he's tired of his dad creating negative headlines for him, he's going to say enough's enough, and he's going to cut the cord. You know it. You've seen it multiple times 
with with parents that are over the top with their kids. He's going to cut the cord at some point in time. I firmly believe it. And everything's going to be based on his son's play. Nothing that LeVar Ball said. I'll be honest, Maggie, right now this week, if you had an opportunity to interview LeVar Ball, would you? I would like to say that I wouldn't because well, I wouldn't. I, I, I mean, honestly, I, don't, I, I don't care what he says now, but would I do it for SI now for the show? Would I do it for the Moose and Maggie show? If I knew that it was going to get a lot of eyeballs. I mean, I don't want to be subjected to a guest coming on. Who's going to basically dismiss me because I'm a woman. Absolutely not. I mean, am I going to change his mind? Am I going to turn no, around not. his way of thinking? Why Absolutely give him not. The air time? If I'm thinking cynically about it, it's if I have a show that needs ratings, if I have a show that needs eyeballs or to get on people's radar, Then listen, I've always said this. If you're going to be in the TV business or if you are TV, radio, whatever, you have to be like maybe between 3% and 5% like pure evil. You know, you have to like, you know, this is a business as well. And if you just want an audience, then their cynical side of you would say, yes, I do want it. Yeah, I would not. I would not. He offers nothing. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that he offers. There's nothing that he goes out there and offers the audience. There's nothing positive that he offers. There's nothing educational that he offers. He's a complete and utter buffoon. That's, I, I He's a complete 100%. and utter buffoon. And I would never subject myself as a talk show host on TV or radio and put that moron on the air because that is exactly what he is. And anyone that goes out there and does, I got to be honest with you, Maggie, I've lost respect for Colin Coward. I've People on this network have put him on the air. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing what people are willing to go out there and do. And I, I, I think you can generate interest in ratings without subjecting yourself to basically the worst of the worst. And that is what LeVar Ball is. He is the worst of the worst. Yeah, I should say, he actually did come on SI Now. I did not do the interview. I wasn't a, there. But this was before he said the thing about not being able to play with white players. Right. It was when once he was he, just talking about no, no, Jordan. And that's Steph fine. And I, once he said the stuff about the, and I said at the time, once he, yeah. once he said the stuff about the three Caucasian players on UCLA and blaming them for a loss to, to Kentucky, that was it. No more. But people continue to put him on. Yeah. That's embarrassing. I, I honestly, that is the other stuff. I can understand it. It's fun. You're going out there, watching falling him go out, out there, Jordan. right? Playing a rec game, falling over himself. You know, he can't, he can't get out of his own way. It's a ha ha he he. It's all great. Now it comes down to a point where if you put on now, I have little to no respect for you. I really don't because now he's a, now he's a he's a bigot and a mean spirited. What he said earlier this week, it, it just comes to a point where enough's enough. He is he offers nothing positive. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, keeping a car clean is a simple and expensive form of maintenance. O'Reilly Auto Parts has all the cleaning and detailing products you need, including washes, waxes, leather, and vinyl care. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts for Clean Car Month and pick up some today. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. We have some uh, people weighing in on Twitter. We've been talking about LeVar Ball and yeah. his latest antics, which happened on Colin Coward's show. They said, um, Ball will never cut the cord. Not enough talent. He's the bees, and the NBA will be the Cavs. Um, I mean, I, I also am not so sure about this, Moose. I mean, it seems like he has a lot of control over his kids, and I'm not sure if Lonzo will ever be able to cut the cord. Now, one thing that I think where this is going to go in terms of a basketball conversation, we're going to talk to Richard Deitch in just a moment, which is not just LeVar, but that might not be the biggest reason why the Lakers could potentially pass on Lonzo Ball. There is basketball reasons for why they may. We'll get into we'll that get into in just that a moment. We'll get into that here momentarily. Let's welcome aboard right now Richard Dice, uh, Sports Illustrated, joins us now. Good morning, Richard. How are you, buddy? Well, just talk about desperation for getting guests, Mark and Maggie. It's good to be with you, but if you're, if you're calling me, 
at 8:40 a.m. on the Eastern uh, Eastern time. You've you've reached the bottom of the barrel. No. Okay. Well, what, goodbye. What, what's going on with the with the bookings? Uh, what do you mean? You're, well, you're okay. Top of the charts. See you later, then, Rich. Bye. No, listen. We want to get your perspective on Lavar Ball, especially after what happened this week. Now he goes on Colin Coward's show, dismissive of Christine Leahy. Coward's getting a lot of criticism because. Not only did he not come to her defense, I actually don't have a, too much of an issue with that, but he's kissing LeVar's rear end as he's as LeVar's berating a co-host. What did you think of the whole scenario, and how did you read it? Maggie, who is LeVar Ball? I have not heard of this man. Um, You're hilarious, Rich. You know that. You're a yeah, funny guy. <laughs> wow. <So> sarcasm, Maggie. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you picked up on it. What was uh, your read on the Cowherd show stuff? Well, and we could probably do an hour on this. First and foremost, if you're going to bring LeVar Ball in, as Fox Sports 1 has done. I, I also announcing did a pretty good job. They said that uh, they've brought LeVar Ball on eight times or eight sort of for eight spots on different shows, and they've tweet, tweeted about him 105 times. So it's very clear that FS1 is using LeVar Ball as a marketing tool or a marketing campaign. And I have no problem bringing LeVar Ball on. To me, it's the same thing, uh, you know, 15 years ago when people would talk to Richard Williams. He has a kid who's in an extraordinary position, potentially the number one, number two, and number three pick in the NBA draft. He's compelling television. Sure, he's a blowhard, but he's compelling television. So I had no problem with them bringing him on. But there's a bit of hypocrisy, at least in my opinion. I don't know if you and Mark would agree with this, is you know exactly what this guy is going to do. He's an absolute um, blowhard, trash talker, you know, just saying stuff that just defies logic or reason, which quite frankly maybe puts him in uh, a perfect position to be at FS1, you know, saying that, you know, I can beat Michael Jordan, my son is this, my son is that. So when he, he, so you're sort of asking him to do stuff that could create some kind of viral attention. Then when he takes it to a place that is uncomfortable for you or uncomfortable for your network, and all of a sudden your personality start getting holier than now and saying, oh, LeVar Ball crossed the line. You know, he said this, he said that. It feels to me a little, a massive amount of hypocrisy. You brought him in, you lit your studio with the kerosene, you're, you're walking around with the matches, and then, oh, my God, you're surprised that something happened. So I have no sympathy for FS1. I have a drop of sympathy for Christine Leahy. I mean, you, you know, I think LeVar Ball was being a little, I don't even know what the word is. Disrespectful seems like a weird word, but, you know, he was sort of like patting her on the head saying, I'm talking to the man, you know, the men are talking over here not you. At the same time, everybody on that network's called the guy out, including Christine Leahy. So uh, not to sort of be uh, a cynic or anything, but, but I, 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 just, I have no sympathy for that network and what happened because the producers and the showrunners knew exactly what was going to happen. But here's one thing, Rich. But here's one thing I think, that, and this is where I feel like it did actually cross a line where you weren't expecting it to go. I mean, maybe the men were reading this differently than women, or maybe I was reading this differently, but he did seem like he was threatening her. I mean, that— You, you, really, you really think so? I mean, I, I, I feel— He I, didn't. I mean, she said, are you threatening me? And he didn't say, no, I'm not. He kept going. So well, to, I, that's where I found it a little bit. Like if someone was came on the radio and started threatening Moose, I wouldn't continue the interview as if that didn't happen. I, I understand where you're coming from. And again, I, there's no doubt I'm, I'm taking it from a male-centric place. But beyond that, I'm taking it from someone who's covered sports media for nine or ten years. So I've become immune and cynical to all this stuff. So I, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I, I do see where you're coming from, and it's very possible she felt that. At the same time, this guy has been on that show – multiple times it's all quote-unquote showbiz they know what they're getting when they bring that 
guy on. The Coward Studio well, in itself is just set up so oddly. It's Colin Coward sitting on a chair 50 feet high, right? right? The, God the, chair. Like, the God chair. Yeah, the guest is like 25 feet below. And as my buddy Trini Kushnerik at um, Comcast and WEEI said, you know, if Colin Coward is uh, – is, is Gloria Steinem, why is Christine Leahy sitting 50,000 yards away on the other side of the studio and not next to him on uh, the set? So the, the set, I think you, you and Mark are longtime veterans of radio and television. The, the set is, I think you'd be fair to sort of set up that Colin is 1-1A and Christine Leahy at best is 2-2A, right? Just right. By, the, yeah. by the framework of the setup, uh, that's sort of how it's set now. But that doesn't doubt. give LeVar permission to do to treat her LeVar, Le- badly because she's agree. sitting he far away. Have, I'm with you. He should not. I agree. LeVar Ball should have. Well, I mean, again, you, you know, you can't sort of tell what somebody to do, but the, the sort of polite, professional thing would have been for LeVar Ball, Ball to turn around and say, listen, I, uh, you have trashed me as a parent. I don't have any interest in talking to you. And so you know how I feel about you, and let's just leave it at that. Instead of, yeah, just looking at, Colin Coward. Well, she, she said that Lonzo looked terrified when they walked out on first take together. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, LeVar Ball. being a bad Maggie, parent. I don't know. Mark, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to drop but Maggie, you, you don't think the inference there is that this guy's a bad parent if, if she's saying no, he no, looked no. terrified I thought it was terrified out? of what he was going to say. That's how I interpreted that, that he was t- looked terrified well, of what when, LeVar was going to say next. Because but, Lonzo is the one who is going to have to ultimately pay the price for all of this. No, stuff. not if if he plays basketball and does well, it, it all goes away. But he has to well. do well, or yeah, else it's... right. But then it all goes away if he right, doesn't right. play well. It all goes away. I mean, right. it, it, yeah. could, I mean, then it, then it's a, then they're all frauds. I mean, yeah. Here's, it, here's the thing, Mark. I think Mark, you hit it on the head. And um, um, the one thing I can tell you guys is having covered tennis at SI for a long time. Um, I remember I've interviewed Richard Williams probably 20 times in my life, not one-on-one, but in scrums once one-on-one, which is in itself a crazy experience. And the thing that I can tell you, and I honestly think this is a parallel. There was so much talk when the Williams sisters were young about Richard saying stuff and how it was going to derail their career. I mean, the guy once said he was going to buy Rockefeller center for $3 billion. That did not happen by the way. Um, so Richard Williams said, basically said a lot of like nonsense. And as Mark said, once Venus and Serena started winning, it, it became irrelevant. It, people stopped saying Richard Williams was going to have some kind of impact on his kid's career. Eventually, less and less people started talking to him. He eventually faded away. Yeah, but Richard and Serena, Serena and Venus became what they became. The I don't, great, but... two of the greatest players of all time. So if Lonzo Ball goes out and averages 19 and uh, 9 assists, it, 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 LeVar, whatever LeVar Ball says or does, as Mark said, it's gonna it's gonna be irrelevant. You're yeah. just gonna basically no, no. I get that. I was a great sportsman. But if you are using the Richard Williams comparison, I mean, the, Venus and Serena had to become the greatest, the the greatest te- female tennis player of all time, and someone well, no, who's in he's the top ten. But he disappeared no, no. years ago. I know, but they were on their way to win. They'd already won multiple but they majors. Turned, well, like, but they Lonzo became champions. Has to be great now. Well, yeah, like, well, he can't I just mean, be good. But uh, if you're if you're going to be the number two overall pick, I mean, you are expected to be great. When when yeah. they're talking about a, a player that many scouts have compared to, you know, a, a smaller Jason version Kidd. of Magic Johnson, Jason Kidd, ever. Yes, when when you're drafted that high, you're expected to be great. No, I get I mean, that, uh, but I feel like it's like the Richard Williams well, example is, a, is just that basically it took them becoming the best tennis players ever for us to forget had, about he, Richard. Here's the, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Maggie. I know Mark's going to agree with me, which is why I love him. You can make the argument. Pander. 
that LeVar Ball has already done his job as an excellent player. His kid is going to be the number two pick in the NBA draft. Yeah. He, he, whatever he did as a parent or whatever he and his wife did, they've gotten his kid to a point which is a one and you know ten billion shot. So no matter what junk FS1 personalities and others are saying, this guy well, has he- taken a kid and brought him to a place in athletics that is a dream place. It just this does not happen, and that's why I think the Richard Williams comparison is totally fair in that Lonzo Ball is going to be, at the lowest, the number two pick, most likely or number three pick in the draft. That's, that's a one in ten million shot that paid off. No, no, I'm no, not well, saying it's Here's my – here's uh, – when does it stop here, Richard? I mean, when do you get to a point here where – When Maggie you know, stops putting him on SI now. No, no, no. Well, no, seriously here. He says the the, the big – he blames the three white players on UCLA for them losing to Kentucky, right? <laughs> no, it, which right. is insanity, right? Which is racist. <laughs> I mean, then he says does the stuff earlier this week. When do networks stop whoring themselves out for for LeVar Ball and for the clicks? It's not going to happen. Wh- you know, why? I mean, when do you when do you get to a point here where the click is not worth it? When do you, Mark, you when do you Mark, reach a point? Because you could go out there and get, if you do quality work, uh, you're going to get attention. If you do a good job, if you understand, and you go out there. This is basically going to the lowest common de- denominator. Mark, where you been? Lowest common denominator sells a lot in sports. You know this. I mean, you got not to this that- level. You got a guy on FS1 who continues to still say LeBron James isn't a clutch player. I agree, good. but he's disappeared. He's getting seventy-five thousand views a, g- a day. I mean, nobody's paying but attention to what Skip Bayless is saying anymore. But people still, people will. Uh, I, I, let me be specific. Television producers, television executives will still pay for nonsense. They still like the conflict. Look at CNN. I mean, you have people who come on that network who will say anything. Uh, that just is not sort of based in fact or not based in the realm of any kind of uh, insight, and they are still put on the air because television producers, as a general rule, love conflict, love car crashes, love craziness. So, again, I'm not trying to be a cynic here. I'm trying to be a realist. LeVar Ball will continue to get invites to all these shows. It's a shame. I think so, too. Will he get his own show, Rich? He will continue to get invites wherever, whatever city – my little, my sort of small prediction would be whatever city Lonzo ends up in, if LeVar wanted to be on some kind of television or radio show on a regular basis, it, it would be a no-brainer for a producer to, to, to bring him on. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's going to add anything intellectual to the dialogue. I'm just telling you that is the reality. I got this you. is how executives think. And I think you, both of you guys have been in the business long enough to know that you know people in management who would, you know, do anything short of, I don't even know, you know do anything short of something illegal uh, 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 to the FCC to try to get ratings. Oh, there's no doubt. Well, this is why I said if you're going to work so in radio or TV, you have to be between 3 and 5% just pure evil because you got to like seeing that car crash and you got to like seeing the conflict. Richard, does he get his own show, LeVar? Well, I think he would only get his own show if Lonzo is in a – city where the opportunity media-wise would exist to give it to him. Now, I would say this. LeVar Ball is not, a LeVar Ball show has a very short life. Like, eventually, you're just going to get tired of all the craziness that he says. But let's, let's just use Los Angeles. If, LeVar, if, Le, if Lonzo gets drafted by the Lakers, I would, I would honestly bet that 
um, one of the cable regional outlets in Los Angeles or one of the sports talk stations in Los Angeles brings LeVar on for a once-a-week kind of long segment where he talks about his son and the team. I, no I just, question. I, I actually know, have a good I idea. Know people, I know too many people in the business who would either, one, not make that offer, or two, I would not be surprised if LeVar is not approached by television-type agents who say, I will place you at one of these places. And I hate to say it, Maggie and Moose, and I think you know this. That segment on whatever that outlet, at least for the first year, would get excellent ratings and, and would get excellent tune-in. It just, that's just the reality. People can say they're not interested, but the numbers on this, the Twitter mentions on this, the Facebook mentions on this, they don't lie. Okay, I have an idea, actually, and how the Lakers could salvage this. If they do want Lonzo, but they're worried about LeVar, they have to hire him as an employee to be on their air, and then <laughs> potentially they could have some say over what comes out of his mouth. Would, because he would be I, an employee. Be honest, that's, that's, honestly, that's not a bad idea. I know. It's a great Literally, idea. Literally, that, that's, that's kind of smart. They still would, they would you, not control what he has to say anyway. Yeah, that's the problem, is, as Moose says. Is un, you can, you He's can a freight train. He can't control correct. a freight train. He's out of control. I mean, honestly. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like, again, it's like interviewing a sports parent. You think you know what they're going to say, and then the next thing they're just saying crazy stuff. You're not going to – the interesting Plus, thing for I, now is this... be, will, will Lonzo's success, will Lonzo's success and will Lonzo eventually sort of push his dad away in the sense that, dad, I'm my own guy, I'd appreciate you not no doing this. No doubt. It. I don't see it or happening does it, Or does it look, work the other way? The more success Lonzo gets, the crazier LeBar gets because he mm-hmm. the attention is the drug. Yeah. Uh, Richard, Richard, great job, man. Spirited conversation Fantastic. this morning. Thank He's you gonna for getting He's going to push him up. away at some point. I mark my words. <laughs> He's going to push him away. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. it. Have a good weekend. Three Come. hours down. We'll react to what Richard had to say. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right. Fourth and final hour here on this Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio, coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Well, that was a spirited conversation with Richard Deitch. Yes. Really appreciate him coming on the show. And listen, you know, we were talking about LeVar Ball, and we're talking about whether or not he should have a microphone anymore and whether, you know, networks and, and media outlets should just stop giving him the platform to spout some of these really nonsensical things that at the very, you know, most harmless is just nonsense and buffoonery, and at the very worst is, you know, bigoted and misogynistic right. and, and things of that nature. So, And you've seen that already. Yeah, you've seen that already from him. I mean, I do have a little bit of that cynical sort of side to me where I feel like from now until his last breath, someone will be trying to capitalize for themselves off of LeVar. Yeah. But the problem is, is that he may not be Lonzo's biggest red flag, if you will, because uh, people are talking, they've said this from the very beginning. Is this going to impact whether or not a team would want to take Lonzo in the draft because LeVar has been such a loose cannon and because he's been so outright. Right. And I'm not so sure that that would be a reason that a team would pass on him. But there might be a reason that the Lakers would pass on him. And this is really set up. Washington Post did this. Andrew Sharp wrote about it also. So give credit where it's due. But when GM Rob Polinka, the GM of the Lakers, was at the Sweet 16 in Memphis, he was quoted as saying this, you want to see the best players play in a huge game like this and see how they respond. It's very important. A big thing when you're judging talent is how guys compete at the highest level. Now, you will remember that Sweet 16 game is the one where Lonzo was thoroughly and completely outplayed by De'Aaron Fox. He looked disengaged. He scored two points in the second half. He was a, took an L in every way in that game. 
And if Rob Polinka is talking in specifics here and is not just talking in generalities, then Lonzo may have an issue on his hands. And I think it's unfair to judge one a prospect by one or two, actually, games that were bad when he the two times they played Kentucky and he didn't play well. That might not be fair. But that's also at their discretion. That is at the Lakers' discretion. If they feel like they did not see what they wanted to out of Lonzo, they could easily say, we have D'Angelo Russell. We don't need another point guard. And I'm just curious, for as great as Lonzo is in transition and he does have a good shot, that shot is funky, man. It is funky. The only person who I feel like could, you know, I was reading this, a scout said the, the last, like, you know, player who could really shoot like that and get their shot off in that way was, like, Kevin Martin. And if you want to talk about Sean Marion, he wasn't a great shooter. Sean Marion was not. He averaged 33% over his career. So have you, you know, we've never really seen a primary ball handler not have these fundamental techniques and have instead funky techniques and, you know, the way that, the way that Lonzo shoots. You haven't seen a primary ball holder really have that kind of odd sort of shot. There's a reason why they look most fluid, why they look, you know, so comfortable with the basketball. Lonzo, great in transition, but how is that going to work when he has to create his own shot, and how is it going to work when he's playing in the half court at the highest level? Yeah, I, you know, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see exactly where Lonzo Ball falls uh, with that, um, and does he land with the, the number two overall pick with the Los Angeles Lakers? You might be right. Certainly, you look at that Kentucky game, you look at the funky shot, and he may indeed um, fall. Um, you know, we've got now, uh, what, five, six weeks until the uh, till the NBA draft gets going here. So there's the, that potential that he falls in the draft. And listen, he's going to add have to add a lot more to his repertoire. I mean, the one thing that LeVar said that might be true is that, yes, he Lonzo is better than Steph Curry at 19. But Steph Curry also has, like, beautiful fundamentals. You know, the reason why many people believe that he's able to pull off these incredible shots is because the basis of the fundamental techniques are so fluid. Lonzo doesn't have that. No, he doesn't. You know, and so is the – so Steph Curry at 19, Steph Curry at 27 or whatever he is. I mean, there was so much – he got so much better there. Can Lonzo make those kind of improvements if the underlying fundamentals and mechanics are just whack? Let's head out to uh, Santa Barbara, California. It's Aaron at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Aaron? Hey, good morning. You guys, my favorite show on radio. You guys are wonderful. Tremendous oh, chemistry. Thanks, Aaron. Hey, this LeVar guy, is this going to get worse? I mean, he needs to up the ante with every interview because he becomes irrelevant after some point. There, He's got to increase the shop value. And the worst part is he's got two more kids in the hopper. He's going to go on for like two more logs on the fire. This is not going to end for quite a while. It's true. He's got two more on the way. One already committed to UCLA. The well, other. But you do make a good point. School. I mean, it's just going to get more and more outrageous. Listen, he said some bigoted stuff. He could get a little bit more racist as well, um, and and nobody's going to care. You know what? The worst as long part. As people too, keep most, clicking. The mo- The worst part too is you had the ESPN profile of the balls written by Ramona Shelburne. She did a great job, and you right. find out that Tina, the wife, his wife, suffered this awful stroke. I mean, she is still dealing with the effects of this. She was in the hospital for over a month. I mean, she doesn't, the way that the article sort of uh, made it seem is that, you know, she doesn't maybe have all of her speech back. And, you know, this is devastating. It's terrible. And I was like, you know what? Maybe there's more to LeVar Ball than meets the eye. Maybe behind the scenes, he's like a caring, you know, as a on a human level, you want to believe like, all right, maybe this is, maybe this is someone I can actually identify with. And then he goes out there on kind of like Howard show. And it's right. like the public persona, whether he's good behind the scenes, what have you, we're never going to see it. The public persona is that of just this 
complete buffoon. and utter just uh, just a caricature. Right. It's just a complete, I mean, just a buffoon. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And that's the way that he comes across. Um, listen, I, I, I guess I am naive. I mean, to everyone can go out there and click on it. I, I, I'm done. Uh, I will never watch another. Not going to click. I don't care. Honestly. Will you not click on a LeVar Ball headline? Unless he's telling me the lotto numbers, uh, then I'll click <laughs> Who's gonna on Who's going to win the Preakness? Right. Who's going to win it? Right. Uh, he's gonna, how's he going to make me some money? No, I could care less. Honestly, he adds nothing. He adds nothing to life. Okay, so here's a question for you out there. Can you help yourself? <laughs> if you if you are not a LeVar Ball supporter, can you help yourself? Or is it like a is it like a drug almost? Or like, you know, Listen, you, I've you watched Stupid. I mean, I've watched the Kardashians, so I've watched Stupid. Right, I've watched, I mean, I've watched, well, no, they, I mean, they're just, they had nothing as well. But at least they're nice to look at. I mean, and, you know, they're, you know, they're pretty people. Uh, you look at good-looking couples. I mean, LeVar Ball is not yeah. a, that, that attractive of a man. <laughs> I mean, you see Kim and Kanye, you know, they're a good-looking couple. At least, you know, even I mean, as visually, stupid, you're Right, visually, he, right. They might be stupid. I mean, Kanye's not, Kim is. But, I mean, the case is, like, you look at it, you say, ah, oh, well, you know, LeVar is just like, ugh. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing that he adds nothing. I'm done. No, I'm done. All right. Never let's, again. Let's get to a little wake-up call. I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to search your history. You got it. Let's I'm do done. a wake-up call. All right, Maggie, ladies okay, first. Moose, my wake-up call this morning is, you know, every once in a while we hear stories like this, right? It's some fan is suing either an athlete or a team for something that they feel wrong and it's a complete and utter waste of our time and really, quite frankly, like a misuse of the legal system. Right. Our latest one is this guy in Texas who's suing Zaza Pachulia for his role, whatever role he played in injuring Kawhi Leonard. Right. Now, you must be the most bored lawyer in the face of the earth if you're taking this case number one. Number two, it's this one single guy, the fan, the quote-unquote diehard, devoted Spurs fan. It's also a memorabilia dealer and this lawyer together in what can only be described as the world's dumbest three-man weave that I could ever, ever imagine. What's next? Are you going to sue Tony Parker's quad? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, yes, having Kawhi Leonard suffer through an ankle injury makes you less competitive. No kidding. No kidding. That's sports, man. That's it's buyer beware with your season tickets. And the irony that it's a Spurs fan, right? Who Greg Popovich basically invented the strategy of strategically resting players, thereby irking the fans and also giving you intentionally less probability of winning the game, a less likely probability of winning the game. The fact that Popovich invented this and this guy is now suing because his team is less likely to win because Kawhi Leonard is just the ultimate irony that is just so thick I can barely see through it. If this was a real diehard Spurs fan, they would even know that Greg Popovich himself would find this the biggest utter waste of time, money, and resources for the three-headed clown show down there in Texas who's trying to sue Zaza Pachulia. Please wake up. Yeah, and my wake-up call goes to it's amazing how you can go out there and play both sides of it because all everyone talked about throughout the course of the NBA season is this great MVP race between Russell Westbrook and James Harden and then some even made the case for Kawhi Leonard. But really, it was all about Russell Westbrook and James Harden. How many games played? You know, you look at the shot selection of Russell Westbrook. So, 
Now it's like, that's all anybody ever talked about, right? For months, that's all anybody talked about. That's all you read about. You had comments from Harden. You had comments from Westbrook. You had comments from former players, current players about who they would vote for. That's all you heard about. It's amazing. Now the three finalists come out for the MVP award, and people are stunned that LeBron James is not in the top three and how he has been slighted or wronged, and I'm getting columns written about that now. So you can't have it both ways. The same people that all they talked about throughout the course of the regular season was the brilliant year of Russell Westbrook and the brilliant year of James Harden with the Houston Rockets are now telling me about how LeBron James is some great snub that he's not going to be the MVP or is not one of the three finalists in terms of the MVP in the NBA. To me, that makes no sense. You can't have it both ways. You can't put it one way in the regular season and then do something after the award is basically yet to be announced, but the three finalists are announced. So, yes, LeBron James is the best player in the world. You cannot go out there and act stunned, though, that he's not one of the three MVP finalists because all anybody talked about over the course of the regular season were really two guys and then maybe the third being Kawhi Leonard. And it was Harden and it was Westbrook and it was everybody else. So don't act stunned and wake up. You can't. I mean, you can't. But you can cut it both ways because now everyone's stunned. They now want to three. And getting the comments from him, how you know, oh, I know what I bring to the game. I know this. I know that. That's great. But all anybody, Maggie, we talk. How many conversations do we have on a Saturday morning talking about? Did you see what Westbrook did last night? What about Harden? Where are we in the race? You interviewing former NBA players? We have former NBA players here. Current NBA players asking what you thought about the MVP race. It was the only storyline really yeah, to follow. That because, because well, and Durant going to the Warriors, but then he ends up missing like 22 games or whatever. Yeah. So it was a little bit tempered because of that. Uh, yeah, interesting. You know, I just think that the award has become who's having the best season. I agree with you. Not most valuable, and which is not agree. a crime. It's no. not a crime necessarily. I right. mean, when guys like Carl Malone win over Michael Jordan, maybe it's a crime, but. You know, it's it's not, um, but I, I agree with Ty Lue that I think LeBron could win it every single year. It doesn't we agree mean with that, that. It doesn't mean the Harden and Westbrook have, you know, didn't have good seasons. They just have right. really good individuals. We're, we're going to get to some uh, tweets of the week. Uh, coming up uh, later on the show, Bill yep. Ryder, uh, new show writer than you uh, here on CBS Sports Radio, is going to join us to talk a little NBA. But coming up next, uh, tweets of the week. We'll do that with you. Moose and Maggie, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Moose and Maggie with you here on this uh, Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio. Want to get to it? Some tweets of the week. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. How about Josh Donaldson? Had some fun on Twitter during the Blue Jays blowout Thursday night. Um he tweeted out, ha, 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 ha. Atlanta got back at Toronto by plunking Jose Bautista early. Blue Jays got the last laugh. They jumped all over starter Julio Tehran, scoring nine runs off him in just three innings of work. The final nail in the coffin was an opposite field home run by opposing pitcher Marcus Stroman. Yeah, so, I mean, listen, when are, are, are can we that stop? That was during the game. Hitting? Jose Bautista, right? the guy flipped the bat. It wasn't even as bad as the playoffs a couple years ago. It does not give someone permission to hurl an object at him at 90 miles an hour. A great Twitter handle, though. Bringer of Rain 20. Yeah, Josh Donaldson. That is, yes. Uh, 
How about LeGarrette Blunt signed with the Eagles? Getting congratulations from his uh, now Philly teammates, Darren Sproles. Welcome to Philly, bro. Hashtag Fly Eagles Fly. Carson Wentz, happy to have you on the squad. Hashtag Fly Eagles Fly. Brandon Graham, welcome, my brother. Can't wait to get after it with you, my man. Yeah, that's dangerous. You know, I was a little bit surprised, actually, that he didn't return to the New England Patriots, but he's going to have an impact in Philly. Reaction to the Cavaliers game two dismantling of the Celtics. Ha ha, Clinton Dix. I'll never sell out on another professional team. I know what it's like to take L's on big stages. Ain't shill funny about it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, listen, you go. the Packers have taken Shannon some big Sharp. L's on some big stages. Yeah, so. they have. Uh, Shannon Sharp. If I'm Ty Lu, only way I call dogs off, H. Barry must come blow in my ear. Congress call off a special session, and Stevens get a million signatures. Okay. I don't know. I mean, you don't want to have your first Undisputed. Unit. What time does that show on? The morning. But <laughs> you don't want to have. Go get it. You really I'm tuning in after that tweet. Want... Hello? You don't want to have your first unit on the floor. What if someone uh, tweaks an ankle? Right. Come Brett on, Anderson. Uh, the NBA should have just had a NIT with all other teams besides the Warriors and the Cavs. See, that actually makes sense. I, listen, I would love a single elimination <laughs> right. NBA tournament. Right. That'd be cool. Uh, here we go. CJ McCallum. I wonder who left Braun and Russ off first team. Only 99 of 100 votes. I'll tell you who. Haters. Haters left him off. Devin Booker, so we're not going to pretend Cat wasn't supposed to be in, uh, on any all-NBA team. That's Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, Jared Dudley, anybody shocked that neither Hayward or Paul George didn't make third all-team all-NBA? The draft and free agency just got more interesting. And Javal McGee, you never you ever start something you think you won't be able to finish and then finish it in stride. That's hard work. The more you know. Yes, that's exactly right. Some ins- inspirational words from JaVale McGee. Yeah, I mean, how much did uh, Dudley, uh, the Hayward George, them not making their team cost them what? They can't get the $200 million. Yeah, Well, they it would have triggered if they both re-signed with the teams that they, were, they are currently with, right. you know, Pacers and Utah respectively, then they could trigger a clause that adds another $75 million Nice. To the total if they did. brings it over two hundred million. Right. But now they really don't even have the option. So if I'm Utah or if I'm Indiana, now I'm quite worried actually that, that they're gonna leave. That they're gonna leave. I mean, Brad Stevens is obviously Hayward's former coach, Butler. Um, they're gonna make a play for him. I could see it working out. And Paul George has basically said it. I mean, Larry Bird retired and he wants to be in LA. So I don't know. I'd probably want to break go. from playing LeBron James too. Yeah, he's gonna go, right. Go, go out west to take on Golden State. Yeah, I know. It's not going to get much easier. Right. Well, let's head out to Baltimore. It's Kai at CBS Sports Radio. What's up, Kai? Hey, Moose Maggie. Happy Christmas Saturday from all of Baltimore. Yes. yes. Enjoy those crab cakes, Kai. <laughs> I can smell hey, look, the old bay from like, here. Your show is like the weather. I have to, I have to admit, it's hot. Oh, it's hot. Man, look at that, Kai. Hey, now, I'm going to tell you, I, I, every time I catch up with you guys, you're always making good topics. I mean, even when you when you guys disagree on something, both you guys bring it. You, you you guys give legitimate reason behind your arguments. Sometimes Moose, Moose. By the way, are you Sagittarius? No, I'm Taurus. We're both Taurus. Taurus. Oh, because oh, you like my wife. I mean, like that bull man. Sometimes <laughs> Moose get fired up. Moose get fired up sometimes, man. I I I, I can uh, I can see what sometimes 
you know, when you when you get you know, you look at Moose, he's like the bull over there. You know? <laughs> I know, but Kai, the problem is, is that I'm also a Taurus. Yes. Uh, so I also oh, have a little bull in wow. me. So right. wow. Moose and I just I celebrated our birthdays. Yeah, but um back to LeBar Ball, I think I think he had the right intentions, believe it. I think he had the right intentions, but he's going about the whole thing the wrong way in my opinion. He's making he's making people like me I gotta be honest. Not like his kid before you can even watch him. I mean, not root for him. I want to get a chance to, you know, let me, let me at least watch him on my own. And and I think last year, if you guys remember, Ben Simmons, all the hype was about Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons. And I know it's still early, but I want to get you guys' uh, opinion before I get off. Do you think Ben Simmons will be a better player down long? Uh, I know it's hard to say, yeah. but. Uh, the difference, the comparisons, and, you know, because it was a lot of hype last year and ben, uh, about Ben Simmons. And I feel like the same thing has happened to Le- uh, LeVar Ball. He kind of took the pressure off Ben Simmons from being that target. Uh, yeah, but if you want to, you've got to give Ball credit because he actually changed things at UCLA. I mean, Ben he Simmons helped, yeah. went to LSU and was a disaster. I mean, they'd even, I mean, they, they didn't, didn't make go, the tournament. They didn't make the tournament, and they decided not to go to what tournament did they get? Was it the NIT or was it the CBI? The CBI. I think it was the CBI. And then the coach got fired. And the coach got fired, right. So uh, Simmons was a disaster. If you want to say who's more accomplished, I mean, Simmons can't shoot. I mean, unless he's worked on it uh, over the course of this injury, he couldn't shoot coming out of LSU, um, and that was an issue uh, about him moving forward. Lonzo Ball, as Maggie articulated earlier this hour, and you're watching this pair year, it's got a funky shot of whether or not he can go out there and get that off in the NBA. We'll, we'll end up finding out who's got better court vision. I think they're both wonderful passers. Simmons is bigger. I mean, Simmons is like 6'10", yep, so he's he a bigger man uh, than when you look at Lonzo Ball. Um, I would probably, if you're asking me who's a better prospect, I'd still say Simmons coming off the injury as compared to Ball. Yeah, I mean, we have not seen Ben Simmons play a game in the NBA yet, so we're waiting with bated breath. But with, you know, Ben Simmons, if he can put something together along with Joel Embiid, who still has an outside shot for Rookie of the Year despite only playing 33 games this year, I mean, trust the process indeed. I mean, they could have something cooking down there in Philly. Now, L.A., I think, is in great position, whether they end up taking Lonzo that's going to trigger perhaps a decision about D'Angelo Russell because are is that too redundant, you know, for for what their skill sets are? And if well, you I do have, would, I would think they would trade Russell. They could trade Russell if they want to. I mean, Russell, or if they feel like Lonzo is not going to be, you know, scouting wise, if they feel like they don't want him, if they do feel like Lavar is going to be too much of a thorn in their side, or as I articulated to Richard Deitch before, LA should take Lavar, the Lakers should hire him for their TV network. And then when they're signing the checks, they can potentially have some control over what comes out of his mouth. This is the Moose and Maggie show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, sign up to be an O'Rourke's member today. Start earning instantly. O'Rourke's members earn $5 back for every 150 points you earn. It's fast, easy, free only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. See store for details. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts. Better prices every single day. Boost, remember like uh, on TV sometimes they do like crossover episodes? Yes. Where you get like one show and another show and just like combine forces? Yes. That's what's about to happen That's it. right like, now. Right. It's like a tag team and a, uh, uh, like in wrestling where you have the, the three-man tag. Like that <laughs> kind of that thing, right? Bill Ryder joins us now, host of Writer Than You. Uh, weekdays here on CBS Sports Radio, 6 to 10. Check them out. Uh, all across the country. Good morning, Bill. How are you, buddy? Guys, I'm wonderful. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it. How's Appreciate the show going? On. 
show is great. New York City is wonderful. Yeah, you know what? So far, so good. Okay, well, you know, that's good because sometimes people move to New York City. They can get a little jarred by the uh, the pace, <laughs> by certain smells, especially as the weather's getting warmer. Um, but I'm glad to hear that you're handling it all with ease. There have been several smells that we've identified that have come from the wrong places. It has been hot. Uh, but still love it. Lo- love the energy. Yeah, love the city so far. Okay, fantastic. Well, we'd love to get your thoughts on some of the things going on in the NBA. Moose and I almost just spent the last four hours kind of trashing the NBA in a lot of ways just because these games have been unwatchable, and it all comes back to, I think, the, the, the biggest indignity was the greatest indignity was Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Here's my question for you, Bill. Did you? How much of that did you actually watch, and when you turned it off, what did you watch? All right, so I would normally be the person who would pretty vigorously defend the NBA. I love the NBA, but I can't defend what happened last night. Watching LeBron James and the Cavs just beat up physically, emotionally, spiritually abused the Celtics. I watched it because my show was on, right? So I'm, I'm doing the show and I'm watching it. But it was real hard to watch, and when it was over, I felt pretty dirty for having watched the entire game. Yeah, I mean, but what do you do? I mean, there's there, there's really nothing to do about it. It's just a bad product. I mean, we're all going to wait here, and June 1st can't get here quick enough. Uh, and the start of the NBA Finals, and we're going to get Warriors and Cavaliers, Bill. But, you know, the overall quality of the product here for the NBA playoffs for Adam Silver, you know, it's been disturbingly bad. I mean, uh, and the largely, I mean, you could probably count it on five fingers, the amount of, you know, great games we've seen here in the playoffs. That is a terrible track. I'm not saying you don't like great teams. You do. The overall games, though, have been so bad, even before we're talking about just Warriors-Cavs games. Well, here's what you, I mean, like, there, there's nothing to do because on the, it, it is an anomaly of history. On the one hand, you have LeBron James, who, if he's not the best player of all time, and I hope he's not because I grew up on Jordan. I was from Chicago. But if he's not, he's the second or third best player of all time, and he's playing the best basketball over the last – 12 months, I think we've ever seen in a 12-month stretch. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. And on the other hand, you have the best team or the second-best team we've ever seen who added Kevin Durant. I, I actually think it, we will look back after the, I don't know, four or five consecutive NBA Finals in which the Warriors and the Cavs play each other, and we will remember it as a pretty cool time because all we'll focus on is what happens in June. But it's really ugly, and it's a terrible product up until that point. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, from 1980 to 1989, either the Lakers or the Celtics played in every single finals. And, you know, we remember that as being a great era. We really do. And, and dominant teams. Um, and maybe we're going to get a little bit more of that. We're talking with Bill Ryder. Okay, so Bill, um, looking forward, obviously, to Warriors-Cavs. Uh, do you feel like this is going to be a sweep on the Golden State side of things? Obviously, very much dependent on Kawhi Leonard and his ankle, but do you feel like San Antonio will even get a game off of Golden State? I got to be honest. I, I did not think that Golden State would lose a game even when Kawhi was injured, and I, I say that knowing that Greg Popovich over the years has made me look time and again really stupid for doubting what he's capable of, and, and he would have done that again had Kawhi stayed healthy. But but just like with the Cavs, the Warriors are a different level. There's a different level of separation they're the best offensive team in the game right now. They're defensively the second-best team in the NBA. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant are hell-bent on doing what they're trying to do. And I think I've never seen this with the Spurs before, but the Spurs are broken mentally and emotionally too, and you sort of do that when, when Greg Popovich comes out 
and compares the play that injured Kawhi to manslaughter, right? I, I mean, like, great. Pop can be an edgy guy. That was going 20 steps too far. And I think it's because he knows, what we all know watching this series, without Kawhi Leonard, his team has literally zero chance to win that series and, and very little chance probably to win a game going forward. Well, I think that was Pop's brilliant. So Pop, like, really plays the media, like, pretty brilliantly. And I think that was a misdirection because they had just gotten blown out. So I think they wanted to get the attention away from the blowout and, you know, how bad the Spurs looked. And they're like, well, let's put it on Zaza. I'll say something really outlandish and crazy. And, of course, knowing the media, we'll all pick up on that and we'll ignore what the big elephant in the room is, which is we just got smoked. I don't know. I mean, like I'll say this. I have been on the receiving end uh, of some of Pop's F-bombs. Okay. Uh, And they're (laughs) funny and it's edgy and there's humor in it. To me, at least, that reaction and how angry he got, I think a lot of – and Pop usually goes after the media, but I have never seen him go after another player's character on that level. I think a lot of that was just the guy was pissed off. I think Pop was mad as hell. Yeah. And I I think it's because he – yeah, I mean, I think he understood what a lot of people who haven't watched the Spurs this year didn't. And that Kawhi Leonard – I don't think Kawhi Leonard should be a a top three guy in in the MVP voting, but – he should be a top four, and he is a top five player in the game, and he is the best two-way player in the game when LeBron isn't in the playoffs. I think there was a lot going on in Pop's head because Kawhi Leonard's that dynamic, and you just you literally have zero chance when your best guy goes down against that Warriors team. Uh, you know, uh, we're talking to Bill Ryder, host of uh, Ryder Than You weekdays, 6 to 10 Eastern time, uh, p.m. Eastern time here on CBS Sports Radio. Bill, from uh, from a Celtic perspective, you know, it, it's not a matter of whether or not they take a game or what have you. I mean, can they uh, avoid being utterly, uh, I mean, thoroughly and completely embarrassed again as they were in game two moving forward here? And odds are they probably will be. But what do you do if you're that franchise sitting there with the number one overall pick? I mean, Maggie and I talked about it earlier. Uh, you know, do you, do you venture about the idea of making a, a pick and faults, maybe trading Isaiah Thomas, going out there, being aggressive and – seeing exactly if you can bring Hayward aboard as well. What do you do here if you're Boston? You were the number one seed, but there's an ocean between yourself and the Cavs. Yeah, there, there, there really is. Um, you do what Danny Ainge has always done and what he did to put himself in this position all these years ago when he hoodwinked um, Billy King, and you are cold-blooded and you are merciless in pursuit of whatever the right basketball decision is. And I don't know what, what Danny Ainge thinks about this draft. I've talked to three or four GMs, and each of those guys have given me a different guy they think should be the number one pick, right? So it sort of depends on his evaluation. But if he thinks what, you know, I would say a majority of, of the scouts and the GMs in the league think, but by no means all of them, that Markel Fultz is a dynamic franchise-changing player. And obviously that guy's going to be a scoring point guard if you believe that's what he is. Then you draft that guy. And you either, and I think this is what you do, trade Isaiah Thomas, or if you believe because Isaiah Thomas and Fultz went to the same school and because they have somewhat of a relationship, that Isaiah can move to the two, which I doubt very strongly, but if you're Danny Ainge and you think it's possible, then you move Isaiah to the two, you ask him to mentor this young guy, and you see if it can still work. And then, yes, you, you absolutely pursue aggressively Gordon Hayward. I, I will say this, and I say it as a short guy who roots for short guys, you cannot win an NBA championship with a player on your team who's under six feet tall. I don't think you can win an NBA championship with a guy on your, your second best player on your team who's under six feet tall. And unfortunately, we've seen that in these playoffs. 
why and how that can catch up with you, especially a bold, dominant guy like Isaiah Thomas. Right? He's not a creator. He's a guy that is going to be a volume shooter when he's at his best. And I think all of that adds up to the fact, yes, it is time to move away from Isaiah Thomas, as cold as that is, as good as he's played, as your primary guy. No, and I made the case earlier, Ben, that I think that getting thoroughly outplayed and outclassed in this Eastern Conference uh, final series gives Danny Ainge that permission, if you will, by the Boston Celtics fan to say, hey, he was a fan favorite. We loved him here, but look at how mismatched this is, and we have to make a change so the fan base can't say, you know, be banging on the door and saying, hey, we want Isaiah, we want to keep him because we love him. Because, you know, Boston sports fans, they're very loyal. But instead, they'll say, we can't have him because he doesn't get us any closer to beating LeBron James, and that's the ultimate goal. Uh, ben, what's your take on this? Uh, Bill, sorry, I have a friend, Ben Ryder, who works with me at uh, Sports Illustrated. Anyway, what do you? what's your take on Lonzo? What's your take on LeVar and what <laughs> yeah, happened yeah. this week? And more importantly, does saying something, not that this should matter, but saying something misogynistic, sexist, do you think Jeannie Buss, who's one of the very few female executives in the NBA, does this maybe cross a line where she might not tolerate it? I know you lived in L.A. Um, what do you think about Lonzo and his chances to land in that number two spot? Uh, yeah, I did. and I did L.A. radio, and Colin, the, the host in question, friend of mine, yeah. former, as of five days ago, neighbor of mine, great guy. <laughs> Um, and Jeannie's a person I know very well. So let, let me say this. Like, LeVar is a blowhard, right? And the guy is a, is a jerk, and he's a bully. I've watched that interview seven, and I know Christina. I've watched the interview seven or eight times. I don't think he was misogynistic. I don't. I think he was just an absolute jerk. And I think a few things happened there. Like, Charlemagne the God actually went after – Jason Whitlock, it went after FS1, and had, I thought, some pretty interesting perspectives on that. One, and I, FS1 gave me my start on TV. They were great to me. But if you want Christine Leahy to be a part of that interview, put her in a place of respect, right? Like, I've been on that set. It's awkward to sort of turn around and try to look at the person who's in the middle of the couch, right? You're, I mean, it's a weird setup. And, and two, LeVar is a, is a blow. He's a loud, whatever you want to do, obnoxious, uh, uh, attention-seeking wackadoodle. I, and I, I actually find the guy incredibly fascinating. I don't think Jeannie Buss is, whatever her perspective, I don't think Jeannie's going to care. I don't think Magic's going to care. I don't think Rob Polinka's going to care. Having come from that market, you know, the Celtics have rebuilt. They've done something brilliant. Danny Ainge pulled off this trade. Brad Stevens is the coach. Even though they're getting destroyed they are on the rise. It'll be three years because that's LeBron's window at a minimum. They fixed it. The Lakers have been trying to rebuild as long and longer, and they are an embarrassment to the league and to themselves, and people in that town know it, and there's a lot of pressure in Hollywood to get it fixed, and I think they will draft whoever they have to, regardless of their dad being misogynistic or not or a jerk or not or a distraction or not. If they think there's even an inkling of a chance, that player, and I think Lonzo Ball is that player, can help to fix the absolute dumpster fire that is this organization. You know, Bill, you, you mentioned you find LeVar Ball fascinating. Besides trying to build the, the his brand, what, what's fascinating about what LeVar Ball has to say? So here's what it is. And like, I, look, I'm not defending the guy half the time, but I got a buddy, quick, long story very short, who went out to San Francisco, started two companies, got fired. He's loud. He's obnoxious. He's arrogant. He's offensive. He can be a jerk. 
And on the third company he founded, he became a billionaire with a B, right? He's a part of that disruption economy. And LeVar reminds me of the guy. And I don't know that LeVar is going to pull it off. It's all about whether his kids are successful and can be not just good but great at the NBA level. But I'm accustomed to watching people like this change the way that we ride in taxis or not with Uber and do social media. Mark Zuckerberg is not the most charming guy in the face of the earth and buy insurance and have our food delivered and so on and so forth. And I think eventually someone's going to disrupt the sneaker industry. I, I just do. I think that's the nature of the economy and how America works today. And this guy might be brilliant. He might be an idiot. He might be lucky. But if his kids come along, and I don't know if this is going to happen, but his kid is the next Steph Curry is a top two-point guard in the league in three years, which I've had but a everyone, but, me will but here, But here's it'll the deal. Every, it, but every, but everyone that, that you – It's going to be dynamic. But everyone that you brought up, they did it themselves. He's riding the coattails of his son. Oh, and they, well, if it, if it, nobody gives no, no Bill, they, nobody they cares. Nobody cares they about big ball or brand if Lonzo Ball stinks. Nobody cared about Uber. Nobody. No, cared I understand about that, but nobody he they ride Facebook. the he ride, he's riding the coattails of his son. He says racist and misogynistic things, and people find him interesting. I don't find him interesting. I, I honestly don't. When he goes out there and blames three white players on UCLA for them losing at Kentucky, meanwhile his son got outclassed by De'Aaron Fox, I don't find that interesting. I find that you racist. Find it, well, I'll tell you, you find it interesting enough to remember and bring up. No, I find it because I, I, think, I think the people that give him airtime are morons. I'm not saying likable. I'm not necessarily even saying smart. But you're talking about him, and I'm talking about him. I'm talking about him because it, it, you know what, Bill? Because it angers me that people continue to give him airtime. That's what angers me. It angers me. It angers me that he was on Fox Sports 1 this week after he said something that was racist. That angers me. Then I I would suggest that that's your perspective and your approach. It is. Don't ask questions about LeVar Ball. But I ask the questions because I ask the questions because you come on and you say he wasn't misogynistic when he went basically down and talked down to her on the air. He did. Whether you like it or he not, he did. To, well, let me answer. He talks down to every single person who disagrees with his perspective. I don't think it was misogynistic. I think the guy's a jerk and a blowhard, and that's going to be universally true if you or I or anyone ever speaks to him and says, I don't like your brand. What gotcha. you just said to me about him, you say it to him, he's going to come after you. Hey, he can. More than welcome. It's going to be the fact that he disagrees with you. We're, Bill, good luck with We're the show, brother. Out We're time. out of time. Buddy, all right? <laughs> We're up against it. You know how this clock Bye, works. Have a good weekend, buddy. Bill, thank you. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, puts Moose. a nice bow on the show. It's, Maggie, great weekend, all right? You too, Moose. Keep it locked right here. CBS Sports Radio. Thanks for checking us out each and every Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio and checking out our podcast too, Maggie. Yeah, and be sure to download and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. It's the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio.